This is the Network State Podcast, and I'm here today with Toby Lecky and Kaz Njadian, the CEO and COO of Shopify, one of Canada's largest companies. Shopify's internal economy is actually on the scale of a small country, on par with Greece or New Zealand, depending on how you calculate. They have solved many different kinds of management and technical issues in order to build a company that has such a scale. And uh, we also get into what kind of small country they would build if they had the opportunity. Along the way, you learn a bunch of things, uh, including how Shopify is building something that's like a new kind of Hanseatic League, as well as what the Hanseatic League actually was. If that kind of thing interests you, let's get started. Thanks. Uh, thanks for coming on. This is the uh, second episode of the Network State podcast, uh, this new podcast on everything from, uh, you know, obviously starting new countries, but all the people like yourselves who have built startups that are on the scale of small countries and pro-tech policymakers and everything that's related to kind of building the future. And uh, my first guest was Vitalik, a fellow Canadian uh, founder, and uh, you, you guys are my, my second. <laughs> Um, so you're basically the kind of people who've literally built giant economies. Okay. And, uh, you know, the goal here is, uh, something where, um, you know, there's some, there's some good tech podcasts, but actually those tech podcasts are often, um, you know, they're, they're focused on the business of tech and, and so on. And that's fine. And that's good. You know, prices are important or what have you, but price is always being secondary to why I've been in the space and it's being secondary, I think, to, you know, you guys, like, you know, we're doing it for, for building something of meaning. And so that's kind of what I want to talk about today. So that is sort of a preamble. Um, of course, I can ask you guys about your background and all the type of stuff, but we can kind of like hook it to that vector of, um, you know, we built giant, you know, companies and giant communities and, and what's next? Is the end of the internet just coins or, or do we have one more level? Can we get to cities or even new countries and so on, right? And for, you know, the, everybody, you know, has probably heard of Shopify at this point. Uh, Toby, you're the CEO. Kaz, you're the relatively new COO, right? You've been with the company for a yeah. while, but you just recently became COO. Am I remembering that right? Yeah, I'm, I think, five months into the job. Well, but you've been with Shopify for a while. Yeah, about four years. One thing I just kind of wanted to do for folks, people have heard of Shopify now. It was Canada's largest company. It is still one of Canada's largest companies. You've built an economy that's on the scale of a small country. And what I want to talk about today is what it means to manage something like that. And could we go one step further to actually maybe even starting a small country or a small city? And what would the next step be? And what have you learned from what you've built? And so just like you know, the scale of the Shopify economy, there's millions of merchants, billions of dollars built from scratch. Um, there's stats in your SEC filings. There's stats in your website. Millions of merchants. You have your merchants have millions of employees. You, do you want to? Do you have some stats that you want to rattle off? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, it, it's funny to think about Shopify as a, like a, as, a, as a small uh, economy. It's um, this is definitely sort of a mindset we should take, and the, the, like we should we should explore that angle. Obviously, like it's it's funny to think about this because at some point I you know. This is now like 19 years ago. I wrote the first line of code on on the Ruby project, <laughs> and then along the way, it like uh, collected, um, you know, uh, people who joined the team, and then eventually it got a ticker symbol. And um, uh, now it has all these like various institutions along all, along the way. Um, the millions of merchants are um, partaking in the global uh, network of commerce and global um, uh, ec economics themselves. Um, there's also internal economics uh, around. You know, where, where, where there's a theme store, there's an app store inside of Shopify, there's like a uh, developer community building against that. And um, increasingly, I think it's a really, really good way to um, look at um, everything because it's, it's, it's a big, it's a large exercise um, in, uh, you know, creating um, 
incentives for people to, you know, like, um, um, harness people's enlightened self-interest, um, <laughs> to, for the betterment of the entire community. And so, so, um, there's definitely, uh, echoes of, uh, economics and, uh, like, uh, in the company, but yeah, like it's, it's, um, hundreds of millions of people buy from shop first stores every year. Um, uh, there's, uh, over, we are estimating around 5 million people are employed by, um, uh, the app developers by the, the stores themselves also good jobs. Um, one thing that almost everyone, um, forgets in the context of economics and, uh, is that, um, the vast majority of people in the world work for small and medium businesses. Um, uh, it's, it's depends mm. on the country, but it's usually, it's always above 50%. It's usually as high as 80, 90%. And, um, that in, Entirely depends on uh, the liquidity by which new businesses are created, because new like small businesses tend to go uh, out of uh, business for often for no fault of their own, like uh, like like uh, circumstances with uh, the people who run the businesses, the family changes, there might be uh, you know a tragic death which uh, prevents any kind of continuity of a business that was created um, because it's so much so much we small businesses are built around their founders in most ways it's, it's a leaky bucket uh, and i think the vibrancy of almost every economy depends on how quickly this leaky bucket is being refilled and and standard of living tends to go up if if, 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 if a bucket is filled faster than a, a, you know it um, leaks out this is what we care a great deal about right like we think that um uh, the world, especially the world of entrepreneurship, is this um, uh, sort of meta-emergent phenomenon that just exists partly because um, some people just cannot work for other people. There's, there's probably some kind of gene that prevents people, like that gives people the authority problems that that that, um, <laughs> uh, that necessitate them reaching for independence themselves. Um, uh, this has been true for all of uh, human history. Um, sometimes it becomes a little bit, it becomes illegal in places and both places don't last. So it's, it's, it's this, um, um, like the, the, the fate of entrepreneurs is the, is a bit of a where's Waldo story throughout human history. Um, uh, it, it tends to be not recognized or not talked about a lot, but like it's, uh, it, it always plays a very important role. And so, um, you know, I, I think what Shopify is trying to do, and like in a sort of somewhat hyper uh, way, is um, uh, we believe that the the entrepreneurship in economies actually relates a lot more to the friction of starting businesses than the policies, hmm. uh, because there's the, the, the demand for doing it and wanting to do it is constant. The opportunity is variable, um, but we are living in a time of enormous opportunity around the internet and. Um, uh, the thing that's governing uh, supply and demand there, like, like or, or the thing that's preventing um, uh, business from succeeding is often just the sort of Byzantine, almost Kafkaesque uh, uh, complexity of starting these businesses or the set of requirements uh, that, that, that the medium dictates. Like, for instance, I started my snowboard store, which which worked well for me because I could program and I like... Uh, 20 years ago and I understood the internet and so on and, and therefore I could overcome the hurdles in a way um, but I, I don't think we want an internet where, o where only people who can start new businesses uh, in retail space other people also happen to be programmers and so Shopify is trying to like lessen the learning like the, the, the learning curve and just uh, just uh, cause more entrepreneurship through this. There's, a, there's an interesting parallel to country biology which is like Toby and I are both immigrants and the way I think of Shopify entrepreneurs is that they're immigrants from big companies there are people who left big companies saying, I can't work here. Let me start something on my own, <laughs> which is like an interesting mm -hmm. story of like, 
my family did. Like, can't stay here anymore. Got to go somewhere else. And if you add the collective revenue of Shopify merchants, that's uh, $444 billion last year. That's the second largest company in the world, their collective revenue. And it's an interesting thing about it becomes that, like, our job is to make that immigration pattern easier. Like, if you think of, like, people who left on the Mayflower, come to Mayflower, like, that was a really long journey. Some came, but not a lot. And the pattern of immigration got faster and faster. So people could emigrate out of things they didn't like into things they did like uh, because just travel got easier. Yep. And our job yep. at Shopify is to make that journey from a job you don't like to a job you love. Maybe difficult, but you love it um, easier. Well, it's, it's really interesting because um, something I've thought about, and you, you are maybe the experts in this, a question I've always wanted to ask is, uh, you know, there's this concept of a so-called lifestyle business, right? Where, you know, it's not really swinging for the fences. You're just kind of having fun running your coffee shop. But anybody who's actually run a small business finds it's not a lifestyle business. It's your whole life, you know, <laughs> yeah. right? It's, yeah. it's, it's as hard as running like a, a big company, but it's harder because you often can't get venture capital. You don't have the support of some, uh, you know, franchise, like all the Starbucks franchisees, they don't have to deal with branding. They don't deal with marketing. Their products are set for them. They don't have to negotiate with vendors. Um, it, basically, they have some buffer because you've got this giant chain that is backing them, right? What I saw, especially during COVID with lockdowns and so on, is many of these small businesses just went under. For example, and in San Francisco, even, even in normal times, like there was some ice cream shop that spent like $200,000 trying to just get through the regulations and then just stopped. Now, not that many people have 200K in disposable capital. And to put that into just regulation and so on before you've sold your first ice cream cone is actually kind of bananas. I've thought about that because on the one hand, as you say, you know, Tobia and Kaz is that, you know, people are want to do this and we depend upon new businesses and small businesses, not just everything being scaled. On their hand, it's really hard to do that. And that pushes people. I, I see this in medicine also, you know, the independent practitioner, there's so much regulatory complexity that they're pushed into being an employee of a large hospital chain, right? Or, or maybe they go and work in pharma or something like that. So between that thesis of like, I want to start a small business or run a small business and the antithesis of all this regulation is becoming such a, you know, frictional cost, as you said, maybe Shopify is the synthesis where you are like a, like a centralized hub of this hub and spoke network. And you provide, you know, currently you provide obviously inventory and logistics and pricing. More recently, you've done banking and taxes. Maybe eventually you do compliance as a service and you file all these forms for people in different jurisdictions and keep them compliant so they can just focus on customer service. And so now they're not wholly, uh, you know, just on their own, but they're also not like fully dependent. You know, if they, if they really want to, they could unbuckle from you guys and go somewhere else. You wouldn't want that, but you know, they, they could. And the other thing is that like the, the Shopify community, just like founders tend to, you know, tech companies tend to have similar things and stick together. It seems like a lot of your merchants would have a lot in common and like organizing them would be really pretty, pretty interesting. So like citizens of Shopify or what have you, let, let me pause there, get your thoughts on that. I think that, um, you, you, you touch on like, Many things there, but maybe one thing to like just like underline, um, partly because it's sort of one of my um, pet um, uh, topics is um, it just just the concept of lifestyle business. Like the term lifestyle business is like a construct of Silicon Valley, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, um, <laughs> it's actually like pretty um, mean because it's it really is like I, I don't know how we renamed businesses to lifestyle businesses right. just so we could call ventures businesses <laughs> and, and, and how this succeeded um it didn't come out of like rails or whatever they were like oh your business doesn't have to like like i thought 
wasn't it wasn't it something out of Basecamp? Didn't they come up with the term? I don't think it actually originated from Silicon Valley. Am I wrong about that? Uh, interesting. Uh, my, my friends at Fantasy Secrets might have done done it to us. Um, um, and okay, so maybe without laying the blame uh, at anyone's doorstep, it is a pretty funny thing because, like, um, you know, like businesses were around for a long time, and we didn't call them lifestyle businesses. It's, I, if anything, like, if, you, if you, you're looking at sort of a techie path of businesses, which is like. You, you 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 start a business by an application to Y Combinator. You get all this teaching, and then afterwards people give you money. That that sounds a lot more like silver spoon businesses to me than than, than, than um, <laughs> like what 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 entrepreneurs and SMBs do because that's a lot more hardcore. Um, so, I, I mean, this is the, the greatest thing about um, uh, like I, I think I mean, the greatest privilege we have with Shopify specifically is that we, you know. Um, like I, I talk to hundreds of our customers through instant message and so on. And, um, um, our customers are entrepreneurs, right? Like it's like there's everyone who knows founders of companies who, who, who build things knows how like, uh, like a, those are very exciting people. <laughs> like yeah. they are, um, heterodox thinkers who just don't take, uh, you know, no for an answer and like, like, uh, make things happen. And it, it's really, really great. Like, um, you know, I think everyone ends up becoming sort of uh, the average of the five people they spend the most time with. And uh, like, if, if you, if you can lot that number up with as many entrepreneurs and founders as you can, then that, that goes really, really well for you. And I yep. think it inspires everyone. And so, um, it's interesting because when Shopify started, it was extreme, like, like I actually like first version of after launch had, um, um, in the admin interface, because back then, like this is 2006, right? Like this is like the stone ages of the internet, um, the, uh, uh, or at least the software as a service world. Um, like no one knew what is, what you put into an admin interface and what you don't. So, so we actually had like forms, right? Built into the admin. Like this was one of the main tabs in, 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 in Shopify and, um, no one used it. Um, and in fact, everyone was like, why is this there? Clearly I don't want to talk with my competitors. So. Um, you know, sort of at the beginning, there was a very clear, everyone was thinking about the world of retail as a zero sum game, uh, and, and, and as a rivalrous, we are all competing for the same dollars. Um, I think one thing that has happened is, um, the, I mean, the physical world is permeated with zero sum thinking because it sort of makes sense. And in, in a lot of ways, like, like only one business is, can be in this particular place, in this particular street, right? Like, um, there is a lot more rivalry for finite um, uh, resources. I think like the online world uh, has sort of attracted the positive sum thinkers. People built internet businesses in, 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 in that realm. And, um, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, the sneaker market just wasn't what it was like tw 20 years ago, which was, you know, yes, people bought sneakers when they had to like go play squash <laughs> and, you know, some people use them as a fashion statement, but that market grew so tremendously just because, People like created a community of people who really cared. The, the craftsmanship changed, the, 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 the aesthetics changed, and, and this is now a very, very large market where it wasn't before. And I think the sort of sense of, hey, there is so much more uh, blue ocean opportunity in, 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 in the world because there's so, much, so many more people who would be really into things if a supply would be there um, uh, and if a narrative and a story is there. Um, then, uh, like, it just it's 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 migrated there, and 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 now people are perfectly happy to share. Like, it's actually like across Reddit, across like 
Twitter communities, across Twitter, across Facebook groups. It's like, it's, it's, um, people are really sharing. People are actually comparing notes and people are super happy to, um, uh, like help each other in any which ways they can. In the SMB community or in the, or in the tech founder community? In, in the SMB community, sorry, I should, I should say. This. So you're saying, is there some cross-pollination from sort of the non-zero-sum mentality of tech? Well, ideally non-zero-sum mentality of tech into, let's call it, rather than lifestyle, maybe SMB? Would you, would you think it's yeah. a more neutral term? Yeah, mm -hmm. okay. It's, well, you wanna, so I was, a, I was a tech founder. I was a YC founder. I was the type of founder Toby was uh, talking about a second ago. And my mom's a Shopify merchant. Um, oh, uh, so okay. So one of the things that happens, I don't think this ever happened transparently, uh, when I was in YC, is Shopify merchants build applications for each other. Imagine if a startup found a growth hack and just gave it away. That would never happen because a growth hack is your growth hack. Whereas Shopify merchants will build, you you have a store to run, you build an application to help you with some part of your store, and you will literally give it away to other merchants because they're, they, I think they've... Um, they ha all, our best merchants have intuitively realized that the goal is to maximize the size of the D2C space, maximize the size of like direct connections to customers, which by the way, they all like, this is why they all love you know, shop pay, that magical button on the internet that makes shopping easy. It's because they can all be on the same side of the table um, against like regulations that ban them from having one click checkout otherwise, right? Well, so I, I, I understand there's two really interesting things about that. Uh, first, there's, uh, so can you explain the regulatory barrier to one click? I actually didn't know about that. Well, it was a, there was a patent, a patent, bat, it was patent banning one click checkout for a very long time. Right, right. So that part I knew. So, so you mean patent barrier, but not basically, let's say artificial barriers. No, there's also regulations that have the card networks have regulations that require you to get audited every X months uh, for your uh, vault. Okay. There's Got like, it. There's banking regulations, like there's private and public regulations that make the world of entrepreneurship difficult. Germany actually has laws about check for for checkout, like actual regulatory, like every button has to say these words um, in in the process. This is how you have to represent. Like, oh, wow. like luckily they were reasonably like they're not they're reasonably well chosen and 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 conformed, like within sort of a zip code of best practices. The thing about that is it often codifies a model that becomes obsolete, like for example, with the crypto payment, you don't need to take their address and so on. And probably it overspecifies it to a point that a crypto payment would, would maybe not fit into those regs. I'd have to read them. But that's interesting. Yeah, I, I did know about the patents and the overhead of audits. And again, this is a thing where, you know, ShopPay, you're amortizing all of that across the Shopify network. So it's affordable. It's basically like effectively part of the surcharge of kind of like using the platform that pays for all of that collective stuff, but still gives them independence. The like if you think of like Shopify, we uh, our merchants. I think for every thirty eight dollars our merchants make, we make one, and that's like literally the goal hmm. is to accrue as much, accrue far more benefit to the community uh, than we take. If you think of like if you think of the community as being like one thing, as being a thing that exists independently of like the corporate structure, what you try to do is um, maximize the benefit to the community. Um, that's kind of how we think about it. Well, I mean, it is, I mean, if they're making X without Shopify, let's say they're making $20 and probably that's maybe may not even exist without Shopify, but they're making $20 before and now they're making, 
$39, they're happy to give you one. And so that, I mean, that's obviously like a good deal given everything that you guys give to them. You know, one I thought I had, you know, what that sounded like, by the way, is like open source for merchants. You guys have built like an open source app store for merchants and they kind of trade away the things. And it's sort of like, it's like branding and it's kind of being known within the merchant community. Is that is that how I should think about it? Like what is the, um, is, is, is that part of it as well as the DTC thing or, or am, I, am I off base on that? Yeah, no, I think, um, I mean, it's a spirit of sharing. Uh, yeah, I didn't, mean, I didn't mean to sound cynical. It was in the spirit of sharing. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, you do, you put, you sort of have, you're, you're giving back to the community. You are, uh, you are showing, um, you know, how capable your firm is in, in a sense. It's kind of like for all the reasons people publish open source, also for the, just the love of doing it and whatnot. So that seemed to be an analogy. You're right that maybe Sharp might not give away their growth hack, but Startups do open source and SMBs share Shopify applications. Was that... Would that be fair? Yeah. So. Um, okay. So, well, there's uh, there's one other thing, by the way, on the lifestyle thing. Uh, I agree with you, by the way, the lifestyle term is patronizing. Uh, you know, here is kind of a cut uh, that I've seen before on like startup versus SMB. Uh, well, so SMB is a proven business model. It's, you know, you're, you're eating breakfast and it's often debt financing and the goal is not hyper growth and uh, it, it often does not involve new tech. Whereas the startup is an unproven business model. It's like tweet your breakfast. Right, haha. Ha. You know, rather than eat your breakfast, and it's more equity financing. It's high growth, and it's new tech. Go ahead. Look, I think it's actually a very weird state. Is that um, in startups, it's actually a bad um, assumptions of a financial system that favors um, risky over like the many. Like, if you actually go to a bank and you're like a startup that has a massive risk and have some have some equity checks from some VCs, it's actually relatively easy to get that financing from. I mean, walk into a bunch of banks, they'll give you venture debt. Whereas if you were my mom or Shopify merchants, like the 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 inability to understand like production capital is a hard is actually a tilt, it's one of the other things that makes starting a business difficult, right? Like my my mom can't get a bank loan to start a small business. She just can't. And if she did, she couldn't even grow it because banks don't understand like how those businesses grow. The economics of it are weird. Whereas um you know, the, the established patterns for equity are there. The established patterns for um, for non-equity financing and these businesses have become very difficult. Which, by the way, why Shopify Capital exists, right? Shopify Capital exists because we wanted to fund merchants, not because, in fact, this is this was Toby's um, when Toby and I first met. This was how he, this was his first interview question for me. <laughs> he, hmm. he asked, "Kaz, I've read the bank. I've read the Bank Act. I've read bank charters. Why don't banks let lend money to small businesses?" Toby, do you remember this conversation, Toby? Yep. Yeah. And, and, and I what was your I answer? Said, I thought you have to start in the 1600s because there's a long history of this going wrong for, for small businesses, like starting from, you know, the idea of incorporation. Kaz's actual answer was, so you have to go back in the 1600s. And I wrote a book on this very topic, which was, <laughs> by the way, the shortest job interview I've ever had because we, we, were, we were done. Like, like anyone, so who's, anyone who reaches back and also is an ex expert on esoteric topics that are highly relevant to the job is, my, is part of a team. So, Well, that's awesome. What was, what was the, what's the a, what's a precise of the book? It's, it's honestly, it, it actually becomes like how incorporations started. This will be very boring for everyone. But the idea of a corporation starting with a British East India company uh, it was a very weird thing. You buy shares in this thing, and those shares would uh, would give you ability to have an annuity, right? Those annuities could then be bundled up and sold as equity. Um, so that so and they were much more easily modelable in like 
for people than annuities coming out of a small flower shop, for example. So banks started like building risk models around that rather than this. So if you're a small business, the type of loan you usually get requires a personal guarantee. They're not actually lending you money to a business. They're lending money to Balaji and saying, hey, you, you have a house. I'll give you money for a business, which is a terrible deal for small yeah. businesses. Right. So the, under, the underwriting engine to underwrite small businesses doesn't exist. It's, you can fake it, but it doesn't exist. And one of the consequences of this is um, uh, like a, is a super undesirable uh, uh, secondary order effect here, which is that um, uh, like like I'm I'm thinking of several of our largest merchants, like like which are really like hundred million revenue, billion dollar plus revenue merchants, um, where the which started on Shopify and 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 they are uh, the sixth Shopify store that the founder started, right? Like if 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 you have to reach like to, to to get to capital, you have to reach through the uh, corporate barrier, and um, uh, you you have to personally guarantee um, the the number one store, which is the successful discovery of something that didn't work that taught you a lot, also disables your ability from partaking into uh, in the economy again, even though you have now built the skills. So I think this is this, this is really regrettable. I I, I read uh, you know obviously the banking charter isn't like that clear on these kind of things but like one of the reasons why the banks have the um protections that they do and the guarantees and the federal reserves is because um, it's recognized that lending to small businesses is a uh, uh economy improving and a society improving uh institution um yet they don't do it so 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 we have to kind of replicate these um uh like institutions inside of our own mini economy um now we can do it because again like we're wonderful like we like because you're so early part of a journey of our merchants, uh, they, they, they incorporate often after signing up for Shopify. So we, we see the, the traffic build up. We see the, you know, we, we have inventory visibility and these kind of things. So we can um, uh, underwrite people massively better than uh, what the banks could do. But this is only just this is path dependent consequence of us being just more motivated to do it um, because we are doing it as a complement to the mission rather than as a, um, I don't know why, bank. I mean, because banks have to for their charter. No, right. Um, a mission, not a mandate. Very, mm-hmm. I mean, look, I, look, I had three point of sale startups that failed spectacularly before the fourth one did okay. <laughs> like, like if I was a, if I was a, if I was a founder um, of a business that Silicon Valley didn't understand, the first one would have bankrupted me. I wouldn't have started number two, three, or four. Like, right. I'm just like, and that's like, and, and there's a weird, this is what Toby talks about. There's a very weird capture that has happened in our large institutions where the, the words they say are not the same as the things they do. Yes. Like, this is honestly like the very weird um, thing. And, and if you think of Shopify Capital, which by the way is, um, you know, funds overwhelmingly uh, people who would not get access to any loans, like, because they're, you know, minorities, women, people with, low edu- like low educational pedigree <laughs> like if you think of those people it's actually not shopify is the one kind of check but it's other shopify merchants that are funding it right because the way it works is shopify merchants have paid us we take that money and put it back in the economy yeah well it's what's interesting is it might also be something where eventually i don't know where the regulations are on this but you could have the shopify fund so that those merchants on platform who are successful could put some percentage into invest, you know, kind of backing your fund and investing in the next next big Shopify merchant, which is a platform they understand. Um, uh, I'm not sure if that's something you've thought about. It's almost like you work here. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
the the thing is, what's interesting is, uh, you know, you mentioned underwriting, and I think that's like really important that um, you know you guys and other folks. Uh, you know, when you have enough scale, you can use machine learning to do better underwriting and just pull straight margin out of that because the bank does not know every single action that they took on the Shopify platform since the beginning. You have seen their six, you know, their five failures before their six success. So you have a track record on them and then you can, you know, you can basically scope and bound your risk uh, appropriately with all the signals that you now have over 10 years of operation, all, all the data exhaust that you collected for all these other purposes can now be repurposed for underwriting. Am, am I wrong about that? Is, is, would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually what Shopify is. I mean, the very product is that, right? Like if you want to start a business before Toby started Shopify, the amount of money you had to spend to get an equivalent of Shopify was a lot. The fact that we give you Shopify for $29 is actually an underwriting decision. <laughs> like we are, yep. we are underwriting, like it's like, it's, it's us essentially taking the coupon on a very, very long bet. It's funny. It's kind of like, have you ever seen the movie The Founder? Um, but the mm-hmm. founder uh, of McDonald's? Yeah. In the movie, I'm not sure if actually it's true in real life, but uh, supposedly, you know, the key insight for McDonald's was that they weren't actually in the uh, retail business or the, the restaurant business. They were in the real estate business because they made um, the, the presence of McDonald's, at least at one point in history, boosted real estate values around it enough that actually they made the maximum money from buying the real estate um, and then having the McDonald's there. And the hamburgers were actually a way of increasing the value of that real estate, right? And so it's it strikes me that that's actually in some ways similar to this where I'm not sure I can make it alliterate, but it's not simply the small companies. It is the sort of capitalization that could be, you know, the next big dog leg up, right? Because, you know, that's something that helps them, helps you, you know, makes the whole thing happen. But you wouldn't be able to do that without obviously the platform itself and, and being, you know, building everything you did over the last 15, 15-ish years. Like maybe that's, maybe that was totally obvious and, you know, nothing. No, no, was, no, no. It's, it's, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's not. It's just like total agreement. Essentially what I wanted to do is move the center of opinion to uh, within like our community and actually also the policymaker community to realizing that actually we can go from just starting new um, companies and communities and currencies to new cities and maybe even new countries. And uh, how how to do that? Well, in a sense, uh, obviously you guys have heard the term tech policy, right? Uh, And that's like a very, in a sense, though, it's an interesting point. It's It's like a small ball way of talking about network state or startup city. The reason being because tech policy is like the blocking and tackling of you know, for example, where are the laws around the German checkout thing that you just mentioned, right? But tech equals network and policy equals state. So the, the ultimate level of like tech policy is a new state where you can determine that policy from scratch. And, um, you know, it's the same like, you know, attraction of, wow, I can do a new business from scratch and I have to build everything, but I have root access over it. That's amazing. So that's kind of, that's kind of the goal of this. Uh, and, uh, have you guys seen, have you read chapter one of the network state? Have you seen the book? Should I describe it at all? Yes. No, no, we've, I've, yeah. we've both read it or at least I've, I've, read, I've, I've, read, I've read the first three chapters and my wife read the whole thing. So this, this was dinner conversation a couple of days ago. Okay. Awesome. So, uh, you know, I, I very much consider it a V1, a work in progress, you know, that, uh, just like you guys, like any, you know, entrepreneur or founder, I'm like, Oh, excuse <laughs> my dust. Right. Like my dents. Yeah. I know there's a dent in the side of the door there. Okay. I'll fix it. But, uh, but it's a V1. I'm working on a V2 and actually like a, the network state movie and so on and so forth. Um, and actually huge additions to the book where everybody's like, Oh, you dumb engineers, how are you going to build the roads? And I'm like, you know, 
who's going to build the roads but engineers? It's civil engineering, <laughs> right? You know, like wastewater treatment, electrical engineering, three-phase. Like that's that's what we all learned in school. Like I, I know how to do some of that. And, you know, a lot of the folks in our community have, you know, hard engineering backgrounds, right? And so the the, the concept is um, in the V2 of the book to uh, to not just flesh out and answer every single fact and so on, but kind of have it also translate into multiple languages. It's gone viral in like Japan and Catalonia, all these places where I never expected it. It was pretty cool. Uh, there's like a, vi- a video in Japan with like a million views on the Nerdscape. Um, so, but bringing it back to uh, to this podcast, basically, you know, we talked about the scale of the Shopify economy. We made the point that Shopify is on par with a small country. You know, the stats you mentioned, you have your merchants have 5 million employees. Shopify has 650K developers. If you have even 2 million merchants, then Shopify's merchant population alone is somewhere between Latvia and Slovenia. Um, your GMV for Q3, if I'm not mistaken, I saw it reported as like 47 billion. So that's like annualized at $184 billion GMV, like gross marketplace value, total value of all the transactions. And that's like, um, you know, if, if you compare GMV to GDP, it's not exactly the same, but it's in the ballpark. Greece is at $203 billion. New Zealand's at $204 billion. So Shopify's economy is like on the scale of like Greece or New Zealand, which is actually pretty legit, right? And so, you know, when when you're building something like that, it's obviously more than just setting up a storefront. Um, there's, you know, you guys now have the balance product, which is like a bank account. You've got your tax product, which is doing, you know, uh, like a, like a, I guess if, I, if I'm not saying it's like a better uh, sales tax computation, but eventually maybe it's like a Intuit for small business. I don't want to give away a product roadmap, but am I in, am I in the ballpark there? <laughs> it's, I really, really like our tax product. Is what I'm going to say. This it's, I think okay. it's like a very, um, it's um, we're very proud of it and it's very loved. Well, you know what's what's interesting with with that would be you guys could since you actually understand the tax code and could put that into code, you could give pop-ups and tooltips saying, hey, you should do X, Y, and Z. And, you know, you can optimize your thing here with a complicated code over time. If you get on base, which is sales tax optimization, then you could actually give tips to people to like do X and do Y and do Z, um, which hasn't actually happened yet, but I, I've often wanted to see maybe you're, you're the right guys to do it. Totally. Yeah, totally. Stay tuned. Okay, fine. I'll, I'll, Stay tuned. I'll, like, uh, it's like... Um... But like, but you you're right in which the meta learning of a community is uh, like like it, there's nothing better than like making it so that I, I either only a few people have to figure out the complicated stuff and then we amortize it over the entire thing or or, or we absorb their complexity so that everyone else doesn't have to. I think the and this is probably like one of those places where uh, things get really close between you know networked state ideas uh crypto and 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 and, yeah, and shopify like what what we want like we we think a lot about um incentive design what we love is that we are sort of on this, like as a business very much on the same side of the table of with, with our customers which is actually mm-hmm. a fairly rare thing for businesses uh to accomplish um so so we see it as our biggest opportunity to grow uh the success of our, our like of 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 the people on our platform because we are uh, participating in the revenue to as we're taking a small um, part of the increase that we can also provide. And um, uh, so, yeah, like uh, the, the most wonderful thing that um, we were sort of hoping for when the company started and which has proven out over and over again and re- is reconfirmed every single time we, we, we launch uh, something like tax is that um, um, the, capa- the, the entrepreneurs have finite attention um 
and how that is being uh, invested is uh, it, like matters. So if um, they have to file their taxes and have to run through a lot of complexities, or if they have to, um, uh, you know, just like build a logistics uh, system for a couple of years, or, you know, like all of these kind of um, things happen in the sort of like in the success journey of every merchant traditionally, every single time we subtract one of those by just taking the complexity of this and just put, pulling it into, comp into, into Shopify and just kind of removing that, like the, the time actually gets spent on improving the products, improving marketing, finding more market fit, and they grow faster. This is why I'm saying like the world is much more shaped by friction than by policy in the end. Now, sometimes policy causes friction, um, but it's, it's, it's very hard for, uh, in my mind for not, for, for politician to say, uh, to, to launch a entrepreneur, um, action plan, which causes like pulls some money into some kind of thing. I think that's more, that, that's, it's very hard to do anything other than just distort the, uh, the play, uh, playing field. Um, it actually often causes the negative effect because now people will be distracted by filing a bunch of application forms rather than actually improve their product. And so I think we can act as a like a like a, as a as a as a thing against that sometimes. There's an interesting thing that happens, which is like I wonder how, how you think of Shopify. I think of Shopify as like there's a core platform that everyone's on, and then every other service we provide is voluntary. The merchant can take it or not. They can mm. take our payment system or not, our tax system or not. Which is kind of like how the governments used to work, right? Like when the U.S. first came up with the greenbacks, like California and Oregon opted out, saying we don't want this thing. This thing doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Whereas, like, I think it's become like a very like a because it's an opt-in system, it's a voluntary system for merchants. They can decide for themselves if it's good for them or not. So it's become a very. Um, I think it's actually allows us to aggregate their wishes in a way that is totally voluntary and opt-in rather than like this like weird thing that happens elsewhere, which is like you must take this closed thing or not. It's a new Hanseatic League. <laughs> you guys, if you're ancient historian, yeah, yeah. go ahead. <laughs> I, I, just, I just like, I just like the, I mean, I, I, I'm also like a customer for a weird comparison to like random points of history. So, so. Well, uh, I will explain that to our viewers who don't know. Actually, Kaz, you're, you're a historian, economic no, no, historian. No, no, you go. Okay. Well, the Hanseatic League, it was like an alliance of merchants in Northern Europe that was actually um, almost completely, it, it was it was for mutual self-defense, it was almost completely nonviolent. And uh, it's a really interesting model for sort of network cooperation between, you know, basically independent entities. And uh, so thinking of you guys as kind of a modern network Hanseatic League is kind of kind of interesting. I, would, I have a few actually remarks I want, and let me jump to the next point. Um, first, on the attention point, it's interesting, you know, lots of folks have talked about this. Alon has talked about context switching. I, have you seen that meme that has uh, like four levels of brain and at the end? It's like galaxy brain. Yes. And, and first, right. So it's like, you know, what is the constraint on a business? You know, like, and I'm not saying obviously this is sometimes true, but like level one is money. Level two is time. Level three is risk. And then maybe level four is attention. Right. And so money and time are kind of obvious. Risk is something I think, and maybe you could invert three and four, but, you know, for example, uh, this is, this is something that, you know, Brian Armstrong and I talk a lot about, like at big companies, the scarcest, but the scarcest budget is often risk budget. Like the, the budget take a risk at small companies. It's often attention, like what they focus on. Right. So maybe those two are tied and, you know, being able to just automate something by clicking, 
you know, is, is a huge savings. And the second kind of thing I was going to say with respect to that was, um, here's a vision of the future, which I'm not saying is necessarily a hundred percent. People will argue there's parts of it that aren't good. Okay. But let me, let me bounce it off. You get your thoughts in a sense. Let's say you're running, uh, not a Shopify store, but a, um, a retail outlet offline. What you're doing is essentially arbitrage. You are, um, guessing that, uh, the water bottles that you buy wholesale from the manufacturer, you will be able to mark up at five or 10% and sell them cold on the beach at this place at this time and make, you know, a, a, a markup there, right? You are trying to literally buy low and sell high this particular good. And you multiply that across, not just the water bottles, but the apples and everything else that you're buying. And you have to take inventory risk while doing that, right? Now, once you put that into a Shopify storefront or let's say an Uber Eats storefront or, or something like that, now suddenly you've got a lot more analytics and you could maybe have multiple storefronts and you could try different branding. It's way easier to change the signage. And so now the arbitrage becomes purer. You're just hitting keys on a keyboard and you're like, okay, Apple's here, Banana's here. Um, and maybe you don't even have to execute the order on the back end until the person orders it on the front end because your latency doesn't have to be that fast if they're ordering it online, right? So in a sense, what you're kind of doing is, um, and of course, it's far from this today. There's still a lot of physicality to it. And maybe I'm wrong and maybe you'd counter argue. But in a sense, what you're doing is you're moving it closer to almost pure arbitrage, like an intellectual game of hitting keys and actually, you know, drop shipping reduces the, the physicality, all those things do it. Tell me if you agree with that, disagree with that. I think, I think it's, I, I, I agree with it, but um, I think that ends up eventually uh, like uh, getting stuck on, on a local maxima. Like I, I, th I think this got like, like, uh, for a couple of years, there was a period of time where like dropshipping became the, um, specifically dropshipping directly from uh, uh, China became a, a very common uh, a tactic that employed. And the, the reason why that um, um, ended up in problems is because um, it, it turns out that um, retail is not quite as, I mean, obviously like cold drinks on the beach is, a, is, a, is, a, is a, there's a clear demand for this kind of thing in the moment. But um, what we see, most of the businesses that actually grow are the ones which aren't purely utilitarian or uh, are, are, like aren't um, uh, like marketing directly to homo economicus, but rather are building communities. Right. Um, so the, the, I mean, so to give an extreme example is Supreme, right? Like uh, which, uh, you know, has built an extremely cl uh, close uh, community around their product and uh, including its own, you know, narrative stories, um and uh like and so on i think we see this generally like like the best products end up uh, being created and some kind of intersection of interests like for instance i, I like um just just take a real example of something that someone who grew up on the platform is Allbirds, um uh, the, the sneaker um uh company now they they, they, they made great these wool, wool sneakers but they're also like extremely sustainable, uh, sustainably done. And, um, like that's an intersection of multiple interests. People, people want great shoes. Uh, they, they, they make fantastic ones. And then also people who are environmentally conscious. This is the wonderful thing about the internet. You get into this, like Kevin Kelly wrote this wonderful essay, 2006, seven, eight, uh, about finding your 1,000 true fans. Um, and, uh, like I think the exploration around like making something that like is very meaningful to you beyond like the pure sort of economical uh, like like cost of goods plus ten percent markup or fifty percent markup or whatever. Like if if you if you build something that's a story and that uh, causes lifetime value um, and optimize for that, you actually do better than um, 
uh, sort of a supermarket um, kind of uh, like, like world. I, I'm known for saying I disagree, so I disagree actually with you a okay. little um, because I think there's like a misunderstanding of um, why people buy um, like buy things. I think there's like a the basic way you think of like the interesting history of trade um, going back to a guy known Utsi, uh, <laughs> who's actually like we have his fossils. He died um, in um, in part in Europe. I think 8,000 years ago. But we have, like, we have like this fossil fuels. But like the trade that happened that was local was essentially trade for things you need, like food, nuts, those things. Those, that was like, you, you didn't go very far looking for those things. You just hung out around your village and you got what you wanted. But trades for things you want, like would go very far distances. You'd go, people, would, people back before the wheel <laughs> would travel hundreds and sometimes thousands of miles for, um, for what is now called lipstick, essentially, that's that's an, that's a reverse of what you might think. You might think for the things that you need, you'd go far, and the things that you want, you'd buy them closer. This is a this is a really fascinating. So so this is a, I mean this is a real fossil that like I, I think you can call it. I mean it's it's sort of a pres like preserved in the glaciers in the Alps. So they they analyzed everything that was on him. He clearly was a trader. He was moving through the Alps from one place to another and didn't quite make it. Um, um, actually, I think I think they found error in his back, so someone made huh. him not make it. Um, uh, and uh, but but they analyzed the, the, the items on his body, and like the, the, the goods he was traveling with were sort of the arbitrage goods, um, the nice to haves on his body, like the, the jewelry, the, the, the like tattoos and so on. Then when they charted out where they came from, came from a region of about three thousand kilometers around the point where he died. Like um, and and that just tells you how much how vibrant trade actually was like six to eight thousand years ago like our story is like not quite right um like like trade probably caused language in a in a in, a, in order i mean nothing is cause and effect exactly but mm -hmm. like um like we have been uh traders and merchants um and, and barterers for as long as we are recognizably homo anything and um I think that's it, it. Tends to not be part written into the story quite as much. Do you know Gobekli Tepe? I'm probably pronouncing that badly. It's like uh, this this set of ruins in Turkey that pushed back like the dawn of civilization, like thousands of years from before people thought it was. The, the one with a very peculiar uh, religion. Um, yeah, it's got it's got it's got like some sun. weird towers and stuff there. It's like under a mound. I think you're right. You know, one thing it's interesting. There's this uh, there's a podcast called the I think Fall of Civilizations podcast, and it goes through all of these ancient civilizations that didn't make it, just like Utsi, you know, oh, cool. an arrow in their back or something, right? And you realize actually, in, in some ways, we're like, uh, you're playing game Battletoads. <laughs> I did. I yeah, it's a really hard game. And, yes. uh, and you often get really far and then you die, right? And I'm like, is that what civilization is? And we're, we've just got into like <laughs> level 80 and we just need to not blow. I mean, it's kind of an interesting way of thinking about it. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm just, I'm just, I'm honestly, I'm just delighted that we are doing the Hanseatic League, the East India Company, we do Itzy, and then we also do Battletoads. I think this is, this, the range of his podcast is fantastic. That, that's wonderful. <laughs> I, this is, this is, uh, this is the kind of thing I love, uh, you know, the, actually, it's funny is that the, um, one previous point that you made, uh, where you said actually that it was very boring, the history of the corporation, actually, Kaz, I actually think all of that stuff is very applied right now. You know why? Why? Because, uh, you know, we are probably reinventing many institutions over the next, currently and over the next years and decades. And so, for example, the advent of cryptocurrency and the smart contract 
is a sort of, I mean, the corporation is a social abstraction, right? To, to take this thing that just exists in our heads and treat it in some senses as a person that can own property and where you limit liability. That was a social convention that people had to arrive at, you know, as, as you talk about. And that similarly, like a, a, uh, like a, like a smart contract is like that. It is a, an abstraction where we are essentially all agreeing to treat bits on computers around the world in a certain way because they have certain properties they are hard to muck with and, and, and whatnot. And they give us mutual value and we cooperate in that way. So I think a lot of the stuff about how those things emerge, because they didn't, they didn't emerge in their clean, final, debugged, edge case optimized form. They emerged in a very messy way early on or are useful to learn about. I'm, look, I'm a, I'm a crypto maximalist, and I think there's an interesting, um, interesting history of it. Like, like the way do people actually look at crypto right now and say, "Oh, this thing is janky and doesn't work." You know what's janky and also doesn't work? The common law of the English Empire. Like, you just yeah. need a starting point, and you need to build upon it, and you need to build upon it. And like, people misunderstand how things are created. Things are created by tinkering, not by five-year plans. Like, you just have the thing you have, and you tinker upon it, and you improve it, and you make it better over time. And all of a sudden, you look back and you're like. Oh, wow, this is like the very interesting like uh, British common law, French civil code thing that I think is like a difference between like tinkering and not. And I'm a... Code Napoleon and Academy Francais, the top down versus the bottom up, right? Yeah, and I think there's like something very wonderful about this idea that like what um, cryptocurrencies and smart contracts allow you to do is to see the history of change. And knowing the history of change is as important as knowing state. Like it's actually very important because actually what you end up being doing is you have to kind of project forward and say, ah, this tinkering led to this. I can tell you like there's a part of Shopify that Toby himself wrote called Active Merchant. It's an open source library. You can actually look it up. That started like the, how, we, how we think about payments, payment processing on the internet. Actually, Toby doesn't take credit for this, but I, I will give him some. Uh, Active Merchant really started much of commerce on the internet. Like if you look at like, all the modern, modern payment companies, they'll say, ah, we saw Active Merchant. And they said, oh, we should build something for this. And um, I was, that was just tinkering, right? It was just a tinkering from the last thing they, 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 they built. Um, and I think that's, that's the most wonderful thing about thinking about uh, certainly smart contracts, that it is a thing that you can tinker with. And I, I totally agree with what you say um, uh, in, in that um, we are sort of reinventing or at least reintegrating novel ideas about history from these new primitives, right? Like I... I, I I have to say, when I really started studying crypto, which I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm hugely into, like I, I had this like sort of a rapid realization of that things that I treated as almost just just constants were actually more interesting than they were. Like for like, I mean, just the concept of ownership, right? Like, um, uh, you know, like ownership, like just dividing ownership of a thing into two bits, into two separate aspects, such as. Um, but the utilitarian value of something and uh, the, the the status um, uh, of something. And if, I mean, this is this is something you talked about in length about. I probably learned this from from from, from listening to uh, Const constants becoming variables. I I, I, I was fascinated with. Um, I own NFTs, which I'm extremely like happy about, uh, like 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 having, and I have a. Um, uh, sometimes from the actual artist, like a version that I'm hanging on the wall. But like, if that's being stolen, it just doesn't matter really to me. Like someone else can enjoy this. Like I, I, I you know, I own the rights. And and but those things are separate. They were just um, 
treated as the same thing, partly because there was no other way in the physical world, because there was like, like the, the, the ownership and the utilitarian value were like linked because you, you couldn't take one without the other. It's, it's just like, it tells us something new about the world. Where this becomes the most um, interesting, really, is this to me is like the um, building anything, states, countries, cities, uh, communities, villages, companies, um, um, is done with people and, and we basically have largely three different ways of uh creating uh these things we have we, we have uh we have we have we have policies we have um uh like policies and process as one we have uh culture um and incentives and uh like narrative um like as an, another one and then there's uh, sorry incentives in the third and then organizational design or incentives is sort of a third way but like everything that we ever build in the human world is really us using these three tools and um solving large-scale coordination challenges has to always be done like this and you have to like like people then misunderstand some of the policies or like or, or end up bringing external incentive systems or hierarchies into the mix and everything gets really really messy and um uh, uh leadership is largely like finding and and and, and, and so, somehow changing people's minds uh, with, with the same tools we haven't had anything new come online until the smart contract the smart contract is a way of la like large-scale incentive alignment um it, it uh it's amazing how many people work together um because uh, like and and believe in the same things trusting uh like have a, with, a, with a trust into the system externalized because of there's there's, there's a smart contract it, it, it it's verifiable and um and people believe in it, um, but like it, it can continue executing um, these incentive systems for absolutely forever. Even even if the blockchain stops moving, you could resuscitate it, and just it, it would just the next transaction would interact with it. No no problem. Even ten thousand years from now, the question like this has been used for a whole lot of things. Many of them are not actually valuable, but like um, the new primitive is there, and and we will figure out in the next 10 years all the amazing things that can be done with it. And I think this is super exciting. And again, I, I, I do think every time something new becomes possible that was previously not possible, um, you, um, people overestimate the impact of that in the short term, but massively under, uh, underestimate the, the, the long-term um, consequences of it. Because at some point, um, you know, people have done their six, seven, attempts to do something with it all of them failed but they have now like an intuitive native understanding of the primitives and and and, and can can apply them to large-scale problems i think there's, like, there's actually really interesting like um consequences to like how cryptocurrencies work in commerce honestly and people usually mm -hmm. first go ah payments i think payments is interesting i'm a payments nerd so we can talk about it but i think there's a more interesting thing which is what toby was talking about earlier on which is most most of the things you value have a community around them. If you think of like the things, like, you know, things you own, things you value, they have a community around them. And we're early on this journey, but we're really, really still seeing like, you know, really interesting use of cryptocurrencies for, you know, gating of things, NFT gating or creating communities that are almost entirely about being fans of things. And you look at like these, you know, super um traditional brands like Mattel being one like creating these interesting experiences that are about community others are much more easily done in a wallet aware world because the the, the original sin of the internet is like lack of identity <laughs> and you know cryptocurrencies are actually solved in a really interesting way that allows you to not like to not just have a community but to actually um 
be able to recruit and trade that community way in like really cool ways. So I think I'm, um, I think we're going to think about like, you know, 5,000 years from now, people are going to look at us playing with these NFTs and they're going to think about us as like, we're Otsi of the NFTs. <laughs> like, yeah. like those people. Including Eros and Obex. Yeah. Those had no idea what they were doing. They were just like, these were just toys to them. Uh, but it's really, it's going to be, it's very clearly going to be a thing. I just don't know what time frame. Well, it's it's interesting. I've, I, okay, so I've, I've, I was writing out a bunch of remarks and all those interesting comments. One concept, by the way, where there's sort of a difference between like ownership versus utility is like, let's say, federally owned parks. In theory, the federal government owns it, but anybody can walk in and use it. That's like one example of A owns it, but B, C, and D can use it as, as an example. Another thought, you know, was uh, that, you know, you're, you're kind of tripartite thing there, I might summarize it as policies, process, and payments, um, just to have it as an alliterative thing. Uh, and, you know, you'd mentioned common law earlier. And I think uh, one thing I've said before, and I've thought a lot about is that you, know, you go from common law of the UK, which is all just kind of iteration, then the constitution, which is like written down, and then smart contracts, that's like version 3.0, you know, where it's even more universalist, it's even more um, auditable and fair and so on, right? Then, you know, you, it's like turning it into literal code, not just legal code. And I think actually, you know, somebody once uh, said, why is it that all founders at a certain point, they all become like philosophers and they post stoic stuff and Marcus, all this type of stuff. And I actually had an explanation for that, which is the founder starts as lead engineer and ends up as chief psychologist. <laughs> Right, because mm -hmm. you're you're basically managing this gigantic community first within the company and then also outside, and managing humans is very different than you know like working with machines. But you kind of need both, right? The machine will do exactly what you ask it to do. If you shut down a node, boot up a node, shut down a node, but doesn't care. Humans aren't like that; they're highly stateful, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and um, they are they are uh, uh, they're not uh, LT they're not time invariant systems, um, and. <laughs> So also, also not okay. deterministic, it turns out here. Yeah, like Non-deterministic, exactly. That's right. And and so so on the one hand, anything that you can do with the machine, you actually prefer to do with the machine if you can, because then it can scale, you can iterate on it, it doesn't its feelings aren't hurt, and so on and so forth. On the other hand, that's why founders actually like all this stuff, you know, all these things become applied subjects. Even if you start in engineering, you actually have to pick up effectively a humanities education because only history gives you enough you know, game film on on what large groups of humans actually do. Let me pause there. Tell me if you guys agree with that. I totally agree. I, I think I think I think company building is is, is a supplied philosophy in a in a, in a way. Um, it's um, I mean, I, like if you hang out with people who are, you know good poker players, um, they are going to be the most interesting game theorists you ever come across, right? And and they have no idea that they are. Have, have any kind of aptitude for this, they just pick it up intuitively because uh, they, like the, the game they dedicate themselves to is applied game theory. They solve it in hardware. Exactly. They, they, right. Actually, it, super interestingly, um, sounds like when, that they analyze with fMRIs, like Go players and, and poker players, um, they look at cards, look at board, and it's actually the, uh, the visual cortex that lights up, which is a big part of the energy budget of a brain. So like we actually basically figure out how to- Use their GPUs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a use for <laughs> GPUs, and, uh, and and it's actually funny because I mean, this is we are now getting on a crazy tangent, but like it's really funny because when you when you talk to these people and say like, why did you do this move? They actually say like it seemed beautiful, like and and, and you realize 
Yeah, by, because aesthetics is the only way how your uh, visual cortex can actually communicate with your reasoning brain. Um, so, so, so you, it has to use like basically smoke signals to send the information back, and um, uh, it, it kind of all fits together. It's kind of it's it's it's, it's really neat. You know, the other thing that's like that, just to, just to you know, like dig, digress on your digression for a second, is I think a lot of computations. <laughs> Are like so. So one part is like the visual, like using your GPU. The other is people are very social animals. So um, there's fairly complicated things. If, if for example, so, someone says, "Oh, A will be happy if C does D with E," right? That's like actually a fairly complicated graph theoretic thing. If you were to actually like write that down, you'd actually have to explain that, you know, a social computation that somebody will feel this if somebody else does this to this person with this other person at this time, right? I've, I've thought that there might be something like that as well. Like the, for those people who are good socially, there's like a, a graph engine, just like there's a visual cortex. Uh, I should probably talk to a neurologist and see if there's something there. One part I just want to come back to for a second and move on is the... Um, the part about the arbitrage point and the community point, they're actually kind of related where, you know, how much of, of selling is just arbitrage versus how much of it involves the community. And um, and I do think it's both because if you're just doing dropshipping, you don't have as much of an investment. You're just seeking a return. You're not there for the long term. And the guy who loves it will will probably outlast because they'll, they'll last even beyond where the market is temporarily down or they'll figure out some iteration because they are just up at night working on it. And, you know, that's also related to crypto where it's, you know, it's not just payment, really, it's about community and people who share the same values. And it's almost like, you know, what the yen is to the Japanese, a cryptocurrency is to its community. The yen has value, even if you're not Japanese, because enough Japanese people give it value. So if enough of those people coordinate, they can actually build something amongst themselves, even if the rest of the world doesn't really value it. Even if you don't hold the yen, you know that even if you don't personally hold it, you know the yen has value. So that's kind of a thing about crypto where it's not just a technology, it's a community as well that I think you guys get that others don't. And that Shopify is also, you know, your community is actually a big part of it. It's not simply just a tech stack. I, I, I will, will follow over agreeing with each other. Like, like, yeah. like here's the, um, uh, I think the, the other thing you, you definitely learn is like, um, I, I, um, one of the common problems around the office for me as a founder of a company is, um, you know, I, 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 I say things which are really, uh, uh, you know, important to me. <laughs> like, we, we, here's a change. Shopify is a core value thriving on change. We're making change. Um, um, and, um, I, I can supply this with all sorts of, metadata as, as what we are doing, I know in the end, this is going to be translated into a fortune cookie because, um, the packet size, the MTU of like communication inside of a company is so small that everything has to be packaged in, in a fortune cookie. And then, um, unfortunately, this fortune cookie is then non-deterministically unpacked by everyone. And so, um, um, like I, like one, I think mistake a lot of founders do or why this is a, like a very complicated journey for, for, for people is that initially you have a very small group of people. We, we can move huge context over like pizzas and beers or in, in the evenings and, 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 um, uh, you get everyone, not just like the title of the article, you actually give them the exact, like the exact wording of the article and sort of align, um, through that as things get larger, uh, you, you will, you will have to, um, Consider your words very carefully in the way that you have to pick how you are um, packaging them because you need to, like, I, I ideally determine what the fortune cookie will actually say. And then you will have to deal with all the, like, variants in the unpacking. Um, again, that's what the best we got in the world of um, uh, how we are building organizations and communities. Again, the smart contracts, though, can be an antidote here. Like, if 
the particular thing that you're trying to do is a like can, can be almost arbitrarily complex if um if in the end it tells everyone how to behave or or, or what good looks like in the community right and um uh, i think that's exciting i think there's like this is completely new a new ways like you look at something like uh, doordash or so and you realize like um, yes, it's not a smart contract. It's a centralized system, a server in the middle, which does the two-sided marketplace brokering. Um, but there's like millions and millions of drivers um, working towards a, a, like a, an incentive system that they know works for them. And um, uh, that's all coordinated by uh, like uh, something which like software, which is a fully deterministic and provable and observable. You could imagine a Victorian version of uh, or Hanseatic version of DoorDash where someone tried to um, build this entire thing with uh, uh, tele telegrams and um, uh, a very, very, very large sort of middle management, uh, like call center layer of uh, people who are then trying to recruit drivers and um, uh, like set shifts and, and, and move food orders around. I, I don't think this, like e even if someone would try, I don't think it would work, right? So like... You, you you just sort of get the sense for um that computing isn't just uh, computation isn't just like allowing us to to become more efficient at, at things that we want to do it's it's it really gets more interesting when we realize hey there's now things that can be done because we can solve problems at vastly more higher coordination uh, uh attacks and coordination challenges um i can certainly this hanseatic version of uh, uh, of doordash I don't know what fortune cookie could be crafted that would unpack for millions of drivers or, or, or um, like a horse-drawn carriages drive like um, stewards to uh, behave correctly in all situations. It just you, you, it can't be created, right? So I think that's awesome. I was going to go even further because he he went to Victorian time. I was going to go back to Darius. Okay, but oh, there's, there's, there's 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 no. I think there's a. I'm talking. I think there's a part of the problem. Honestly, I think is that the reason transfer of knowledge has become harder is because uh communication has become easier like there's so much like this this is the meta problem with with slack this is everyone's meta problem with slack right because the tax on communication has gone down we have a lot more of it which means transferring knowledge has become more difficult <laughs> now it's become more democratized and and this, this is a good thing but I think it has become like in a world in which part of why DoorDash works is because the communication channel between the people is very clean. There's no noise to it. Go here for this price for that value. Pick this. Like that's just like, can you imagine trying to coordinate that in Slack or even worse in an office? <laughs> like you just never get anything done. And I think there's a very, I don't know. I think it's actually a really good insight that communication has risen and then necessarily average context has dropped. And it's like, if you ever have a tweet that starts going really viral, it goes outside of those people who kind of know you or know what words you're using. And then it goes to like a group of people who have just no context, whatever, besides those characters and no, don't care about anything else. And they'll often attack it or they'll go crazy about it or not understand it or, or something like that, right? I actually have a solution for this or a proposed solution that is actually a technological one. But just to give a little more flesh on the bones of the problem, Ben Harwood said that his biggest thing that he learned when being CEO was, uh, or just really a senior executive needs to know, is any statement, how it's going to be perceived by every single person in the company. The same statement that may make a ton of sense to your exec who has lots of context is just going to be perceived differently by somebody who's just joined versus, you know, 
like a merchant or somebody who sees it online. And so you have to sort of build in armor plating or what have you to make it hard to interpret, but you have to, you're doing a very space constrained environment. And I think of that as almost like a, it's like a one-liner script with no local dependencies, <laughs> you know, it's, or it's like a, like it's, it's like tweet like communication because you're just, you're just establishing a beachhead and you're living off the land and you have no local dependencies. Right. But that does limit what you can do because really what you want to be able to do is dependency check. You want a dependency check prior to installing to take that computer science analogies. How do you dependency check? Well, one way of doing it would be like, for example, you have an implicit one. If they're within your Slack, they're within the company versus outside. So that's like a dependency check. But you can actually generalize this with smart contracts as you're saying. And NFTs, not in the sense of like an art NFT, but like a badge NFT. For example, um, you might have a post that's only legible to those merchants who have sold at least $1 on Shopify. Mm -hmm. Right? Those are folks who have gone through the entire interface because it's like a different thing to think about doing it versus actually doing it, right? And then you might offer those people, hey, can you give us feedback on it, right? And maybe it's like you further limit it, only those people who sold one $1 and did so in the last year. They just sold their first dollar in the last year because the older merchants have figured out the interface enough, right? So that's something which you could you could have very fine grain conditional queries on on groups if they have that particular NFT, they can log in. Another example, you know, Elon has like 100 million followers. And I've thought for a long time, what if they could do something other than just like an RT? Maybe he could put out, for example, a task that is limited to only those people who have the rocket science credential, right? They had that NFT. And so those 100,000 followers of his who are rocket scientists suddenly can collaborate on something and it's muted for other people. Or, or a third example, like you're an educator and you, you limit replies to those who've done the reading as demonstrated by them asking, you know, answering correctly three questions and getting a little NFT badge for that, right? So the NFTs is little markers of I did this, I completed this, I have this, you know, thing. I yeah. think lens protocol is based on that. So I think that's one possible solution to this context loss problem. Let me know your thoughts. I love it. Like, I, I mean, this is what we are like. Uh, NFT gating is what we, how we call it in, in, in commerce, right? Like it's people will be able to uh, like, you know, put, like, it, it, you know, instead, I mean, we can get into this. It doesn't doesn't matter. But like, I, I actually think fundamentally, if if everything is in the abstract realm uh, of status and and, and internet uh, accessibility and 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 and, and um, uh, can I read something or not? I think that's valuable in in, in a lot of sub communities. I think to to make it mainstream, I think you want to make you want to bridge it to the physical world. So this is why you know this is I think a role that Shopify could specifically help with. Initially, I really disliked that the crypto ecosystem was calling um, things wallets um, it, so casually. I, I really didn't like the term, even though I, I sort of get it with like it being money. But I, I actually, I, I've really come around around that it's actually was a genius um, um, idea because uh, what's most of the use of a wallet these days is actually in the like uh, attestation cards that. Mm -hmm. You are like allowed to operate a vehicle and these kind of things. And I think actually that is the better, like uh, maybe not even the better use, but like a, a more consequential use in, in, in the long run, right? Attestations of skill sets. I mean, this is what degrees are in schools, right? Like degrees are just a really, really, really um, slow way of, of getting an attestation that you are the kind of person who can complete Harvard uh, or whatever. And uh, then other people can uh, run a fortune cookie uh, quality smart like checks on that. Um, and um uh, like for instance, to gate you into companies that some how some companies recruit. Like the, doing this way more fine gained is, is 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 way more interesting. I I think it just I, I think this is where we will find some of the most like just fascinating 
uh, use cases because it can solve the, the, the noisy channel um, uh, problem, right? Like uh, it, 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 it can mean that you can have a conversation amongst people who um, have proven applied um, success in rocket science or have a respect, but by those that do. And um, uh, then you can have a community and, and, and conversation uh, filtered down to that if that's something that is of value to, to some people, which is currently very hard to do other than uh, in a sort of very temporal kind of uh, like, like way by invite only. The, that's a problem, I think, Toby, is that like, you can actually replicate this today in centralized systems. Like a Facebook group that's closed and has rules is perfect for this. But the problem is that's not transferable in a way that is useful, right? Like I would love to limit all my interactions with like people who have never screamed like cancel that person, like just like across <laughs> the internet. Like if, if I could right. just have like a browser plugin that says okay, just like remove those people from my like thing. That would just make my it would significantly improve my life. Uh, but right now I can't. That's not an option. And because I want to live in the real world, I have to abide by the real constraint placed on it. So I think there is a there's a missing primitive in the world that I think wallets can solve. So I, I, I agree with you guys more than you might. I mean, I think of this as computable context. Computable context is a good term because it's like on this person or on this individual or on this entity, I can look up their history of NFTs. It's like their resume, but it's a computable resume. It's not um, just their GitHub commits, which is fine, or their LinkedIn self self-attestation. It is something that is both what they have like themselves chosen to display, and then also maybe what others have, uh, you know, set, right? And, you know, it's, it's funny, you, know, you also mentioned the wallet, uh, you know, upstream of everything in crypto, in a sense, is identity, because if you do that digital signature, you can send $1, but you could also have one vote in a protocol, you could enter, you know, get into one door, or you could show one credential. So the ENS kind of thing of like showing your identity up top that gates all of those other actions is kind of like your, as you said, your, your identity within your wallet that you kind of show your, your, your card to, I don't know, get through the TSA or something, right? Anyway, so the computable context thing is just something that I think uh, takes your insightful points, uh, you know, you know, Kaz, your, your point on the um, communications risen, but context is dropped, and maybe give some way of, of dealing with that, right? You know, it's kind of like, you, you've seen the Simpsons episode where he's like a beer, the cause of and solution to all of man's <laughs> problems, right? And so it's funny, but, you know, Often, you know, technology, the cause of and solution to all of these problems, right? Um, and I'm sure someone will be like, oh, that's a perfect encapsulation of everything I hate about tech, blah, blah. I'm like, you know, it's actually, it's, it's one of these things where people made cars and the first cars were not that great. And they, you know, they belched out fumes and so on. And now we're actually solving that. And, and so it actually is true. It's a cause of and solution to even if it sounds like a joke. Okay, let me pause there and I'll get your thoughts and I'll move on to the next question. I'm pro beer is what I want to go on this I'd recognize that. So we covered basically the scale of the Shopify economy. We covered the point that you've built something literally on par with a not so small country. You know, your GMV annualized is on par with like Greece or New Zealand's GDP, even if it's not exactly apples to apples, it's in the ballpark. You mentioned Shopify's collective revenue of all the merchants is 444 bill, you know, which is, which is crazy. And um, actually, is it 444 bill or is it 184? Am I... G GMV and revenue are different things because you're counting GMV that goes through Shopify, whereas their, their collective revenue is more than just that, right? They sell on many channels enabled by Shopify. Like many of our merchants have a very large B2B business, for example. Okay. You can Fine. buy, um, you know, you can buy some of the beauty brands that we sell in stores. 
So the revenues are higher than G- our GMV. Okay. So, so, the, so like even if we just took the limited number of 184 bill as your Q3 annualized GMV, that's still massive, right? So then, you know, so you've done this thing, you built this thing, you've also managed both, you know, like internal and external pieces. You know, one thing is given that you actually have a perspective uh, that is comparable to that of a serious country in terms of like the scale of the economy, um, you know, have you thought about putting up like a Shopify stats dashboard? For example, I put up a bounty a year and a half ago on an inflation dashboard, and I was thinking Stripe or Square or Shopify or Coinbase, somebody who has a long history of prices. You guys are perfectly positioned. You have a long history of prices across many different kinds of merchants. You can see how those have changed. You could calculate aggregate stats, and you could build a site that would be much more granular than the CPI because people could just punch in their own basket of goods and you could actually see just, okay, it's, I'm not hallucinating it. Guacamole is way more expensive, you know, <laughs> right? Because you kind of think, am I, am I crazy or is all this food gotten way more expensive or, or am I just, you know, like is it in my mind, right? Because you don't save every receipt. You don't have all those graphs, right? But you guys do. So you could actually aggregate them to show graphs for individual items. I kind of think that would be just a huge traffic driver and it's a source of shadow statistics. And maybe it's like an institution, like an external institution that replaces an institution. Like, you know, maybe the Canadian government might even use it. What, What do you guys think about something like that? I like the idea. We haven't driven it. Like it's, it's, we have such stats internally for sure, because we're, we're monitoring this like, um, I mean, I, I would say there's a couple of hurdles, uh, like in a way of doing this uh, straight up. There's certainly a conversation we will have to have with, uh, you know, just like the merchants and 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 and, and how to, you know, like how, yes. how how they would think about like uh, even aggregated versions of, uh, like of of those yeah. Things. Of course, they have to opt it, it, in and share it and so I, on. Yeah, go ahead. I I think like one of the quips early by our sort of early investors board members of our Shopify is that Shopify is the kind of company that only Canadians can build because it's like fundamentally wants other people to look good rather than itself. And, and we, we like to be a brand behind the brand um, um, thing. Now, this, this due to the success, this has sort of evolved since. Um, and, and, and we are, uh, you know, putting ShopPay more centered uh, as, a, as, a, as a clearly a global um, uh, thing and the shop app and so on. Um, so maybe this might be a good time to rethink some of those things. I, I mean, I for for like just purely on merit, like I think it would be a super cool thing to do. Like I, I think having some kind of, you know, Google Trends or Cloudflare Radar for the like small medium business world. It's a, we 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 we're hosting a significant percentage of um, the SMB world, we, and um, uh, like Shopify runs a good percentage of internet traffic uh, uh, is, is Shopify stores. So we, we, we are definitely at the stage now, but I, I would say at recent arrivals at the stage um, where we can start thinking about sort of more, you know, representative, uh, larger um, things. There is a one event, uh, Black Friday, Saber Monday, um, um, which has always been, you know, some... It's a high, internally, it's like there, there's a lot to it, just because frankly, we, we have to keep a whole lot of servers from going on fire. Um, um, uh, because the traffic surge is so massively ahead, uh, like almost a year forward, um, uh, during those times. And, um, uh, we've talked about this externally and kind of create, like we, we actually do share like sort of a real time dashboard, like with, where you can see how, you know, you see like different countries come online, different time zones and so on, uh, and, 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 and the sales per minute. And it's always a fantastically interesting thing. So there's certainly demand for this. It's, 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 a, I guess 
but it's a great idea and maybe you should just like uh, prioritize it. Great. Awesome. Um, I'm happy to help, by the way, if you guys want, you know, maybe we can have this as the little launch clip for when it goes or something like that. Go ahead. Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> we should we still, uh, I'm, I'm just going to literally gonna send you the career website after this and All right. you on W2. <laughs> It'll be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can, you can join okay. our crypto team, man. Well, I, I, I am... I am, I am happy to help and we can, we, you know, let's see how we can collaborate. So, uh, you know, one thing that's kind of uh, the macro point on that, you know, I love the concept of Shopify trends and what you might do is it may be that inflation, free inflation stats were like your public loss leader. And then anybody could sign up for the pro version and just see all these trends across everything. And maybe every merchant that contributed their numbers got free access. Something like that could be something as like a stone soup model, right? Uh, that's just that's just a, that's a off the top of my head, you know, quick thought experiment. I think if it's a good thing for a world, we should do it. But you'd be shocked how little time we spend thinking about how to monetize things. Honestly, like it's not that. Like I think this is like one of those very weird things where like time value of money is a hell of a drug for other people, and we try to very much to to be like not on that particular um, drug. I I agree. I was just I was just thinking about how you you could have it be sustainable since you're going to be running a lot of compute jobs and, and so on and so forth on it. Right. Um, but, but I agree with you. I mean, in fact, I was, I'm a career academic. I was actually, uh, I was certainly not, you know, uh, I don't know if I'll give the exact dollar terms, but like, let's say I was not focused on making money, uh, for the vast majority of my life. And I'm still not focused on making money, but I'm focused on making meaning. And so I'm, I'm, I'm with you guys on that. So one thought, by the way, is just, you know, the kind of macro point here, I think is international networks, should be able to collect better statistics than nation states. So like international versus national and network versus state. And the reason being because you have the same format, you are digital native, you have data analysis chops, you you can do the user interface, all that type of stuff. You can, you know, it's real time. None of that is something, uh, there's a few governments like Estonia or what have you that have some of those characteristics, Singapore, some of those characteristics. The one thing you cannot do is you can't coerce people into just giving you the data. You know, governments can do that with the, you know, but, but you don't need that. And so I actually think this is an important kind of growth area to get into because it puts you upstream. It's like non-obvious, but it basically makes you like a news outlet where the information breaks first at Shopify, and then stories are written downstream of that. And you could eventually put that into an Oracle that then allows people to programmatically access and maybe do interesting things with it. So I actually think this is a, a potentially strategically important thing um, because you know you, st you actually guys define what is true from data and then folks react to that, which is actually a good place to be um, in terms of also focusing people's attention on what's important. If, if some shortage is happening and people don't know about it, you might see it first. And you could alert people to that rather than you know, the Kardashians, nothing against the Kardashians, but I'm just saying like, you can help prioritize. Let me pause have, there and I'll move on to their point. We have observed, we have observed preferences on our databases rather than state preferences. Like this is one of those things that like is real about like, yes, I think I have like three terabytes per minute of like data going through our Like it's not like a, it's not nothing. One of the most wonderful things about Shopify apology is that we are much closer to the real world than most than much of the technology world, honestly, because we deal mm -hmm. with this very real thing that's commerce. Inventory. Yeah. And inventory yep. and shipments. And like this is like a real thing. So it's like it's like it makes our ability look, uh, we put our money where our mouth is on this, right? We lend money based on this data. <laughs> like we give people money based on this data. And so it's like a very real thing. So I think I, I agree it is useful. 
Um, but Toby and I are going to have a later conversation about whether it's useful for Shopify or whether we should just give it away to the world. Sure. Great. Okay. Well, let's, let's do it somehow, but that's great. You know, it's funny. It's like the TCPIP, you have to do sin and act when there's like a packet that's dropped or for you guys, the physical shipment aspect is way more complicated than just a sin and an act. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so <laughs> yeah, like, like, I mean, one of the most surprising consistent themes is like just how much more complicated atoms are than bytes. <laughs> it's like, this is, this is, um, there's like five stages of grief related to this that everyone's going through at Shopify and whenever, whenever they get into the realm of logistics. Yeah. I think it's, you know, why is I think it's because atoms have many continuous failure modes and digital things tend to fall into buckets to a greater extent. Um, you know, or, or, or you just have less control over the world outside and, and so on. Maybe that's, maybe there's the obvious reason. Maybe there's a non-obvious reason. I think trucks listen less well than computers. It's my answer to this thing. Like, tr- 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 they, they tend to listen to instructions less well. But, you know, my, my concept of, um, like, you talk about, like, the concept of generalizing that you're printing things out. You know, so obviously, you know, the concept of printed, printed document, right? An electromechanical process springs to life. It whirs. You're thinking... In the same way, you can almost think of you hit something on Uber Eats and you're like printing it out, right? Everything happens in the digital world first and you hit print and it comes out, right? Or you scroll through the Shopify website and whatever you find interesting, you hit buy and then materializes, it prints out at your doorstep, right? So everything starts in digital world first and if it's really important, you hit print and it materializes. Now, of course, the critique of that as well, obviously the printing in the normal sense is fully automated, whereas the the package appearing at your door is not, but every individual step of it has been, like there are, for example, robots that grow food on the farms. There's things that will package it. You can see clips of each of these things. There's things that will, delivery robots will bring it to your home and so on. So the the, the thing is you couldn't build the robotic Shopify economy globally, but maybe you could build it in a neighborhood. I know Amazon tried something like that with drone delivery. Have you thought about doing something like that? Like Vivo, probably play the role of, uh, uh, you know, providing the, the demand liquidity for the people who want to build neighborhood 3D uh, additive, you know, printing. Uh, but it's systems. too complicated to, to deal. You can't run uh, trucks uh, and all the types of stuff. Like, uh, I mean, may, maybe in the future, but not yet. <laughs> like, this is like, we, we have uh, plenty of uh, downstream challenges. From Also, it's not our job. But it's not our job. Like, I, think, I think it's our job. Like, this is, like, this is a really important thing about Shopify is that we're not a company that's trying to take over every aspect of the world. Honestly, we really aren't. Like, we really are trying to create this, um, this, like, like, if you look at how Shopify built payments, for example, like, like most companies want to build payments, for, like, cool, how can I go full stack to all the rails and just, like, own the entire thing myself to extract every ounce of value? Shopify built payments on back of 720 payment providers, including one main partner in Stripe. Like, like I think our job, honestly, just like we think it's our job to make commerce easier for entrepreneurs, we think our job is to make it possible so developers can do things. But we don't have, like, lots of things we just don't want to do, but we want to make possible for other people to make it an insane living doing it. So if there's a drone delivery startup out there, it's kaz at shopify.com. Send me an email. We'll create APIs that make your life easier. That's cool. I think I think I think there's a really good visual sort of when you sort of think about this of, uh, like as um, uh, concentric circles. Like there's like the world of technology, Turing machines, and um, incredible amount of opportunity space that's theoretically created is sort of like the, the inside of a cell, and then the outside of a cell is like the like call it the real world for lack of better uh, uh, a term, like the, the um, um, 
uh, maybe the world of uh, atoms. Um, Shopify is kind of like, we are not an academic ivory towery uh, like lab code kind of Eureka company. We are like a bunch of uh, 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 craftsmen, tinkerers, and, and, and our we are very firmly on the membrane. Like we are basically funneling or taking up like everything that the opportunity space creates and try to get that to people on the other side as quickly as possible because we want their, like, we want their businesses to succeed, right? Like, so, um, we are, we are very, very large, like, like think of ourselves as an, uh, aggregator of opportunity and value. Um, and, uh, yeah, sometimes we take active roles in, in creating some of those technologies, but that's, um, we, we do this as a, like only if the rest of the industry kind of doesn't do the job we wanted to do. <laughs> so, um, right. Yeah, maybe, maybe no. that helps. That makes, that makes total sense. And, you know, it's actually, it's interesting. I have a better sense now, like basically almost anything digital, you're like a, uh, like a connective tissue between the bits world and the atoms world, like that inner, that inner ring of the concentric circle. It is something where owning trucks and planes and so on is like a very CapEx intensive thing. And it's probably better to just do that with a partner or something, but you can dispatch them and you might say, Hey, implement our API. And then you can more easily, you know, talk to our network or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. that, that helps me get, get a sense of it, if, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. yeah. Now, one other thing that's kind of related to sort of managing an economy level thing is you've, you've had a great balance of the centralized and decentralized. Now, often these are, just, just to kind of motivate the question, often centralized and decentralized are nowadays portrayed as totally antithetical, right? No, you have to be either one or the other. And uh, often though, like it's useful to have some balance or to use the right tool and the right you know, circumstance. So you have this decentralized, you know, as you've said many times, you're arming the rebels by allowing people to sell online, but that's a balance of your centralized scale and this sort of decentralized entrepreneurial energy. And so it's like a state setting the rules of the market and then you let people interact and then they, the state takes a slice of that in the same way that Shopify sets the rules of your economy and then you let people sell and interact within fairly large parameters uh, and then take a cut of that, right? And so do you have, you have thoughts on like when you do something centralized versus when you do it decentralized? Yeah, I, I, I think, I mean, I think key thing is, um, I mean, this is true with all words, like words are pointers at regions of a brain. The brain is uh, set to private read, like, like other people have no observability of what the concept really encodes in your brain. And like basically both are pointers into uh, uh, private memory regions and um, 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 it means something different to everyone. And then... Unfortunately, people end up fighting a lot over these definitions. Um, like centralized, decentralized is, I, I think is, uh, just given that we're talking at a podcast of a lot of people from a crypto sphere, like means something specifically. I think the broader term, like Shopify always thought of itself as actually an agent of decentralization, even though clearly we're running centralized servers. Like that ended up being, like I started Shopify in 2004, there was certainly no way to, uh, to, 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 to build it in a completely decentralized way, given what we want trying to do. The, the closest thing would have been put the source code up and like do the WordPress thing, uh, and, uh, and let everyone install it on their own servers. That was the definition of decentralized in those days that wouldn't qualify as decentralized, uh, in, in, in this newer sense. Where Shopify, like, like, but, but Shopify does prey on the altar of, um, decentralizing uh uh like like um opportunity right like th this is like um like we, we want to i mean or it's called democratizing like like opportunity is the thing that we really want like to push everywhere right like because 
again, the internet is awesome and entrepreneurship is important. And it would be weird if the internet would be a bad place for entrepreneurship. So, so this is, this is like everything we are building is basically so that the people who are starting out have a fair shot at um, uh, building something um, that conforms to the uh, expectations of the customers that might exist, like find the, um, um, uh, the 1,003 true fans. I was going to give a concrete example. Here's like, you're, obviously, you know, Uber, do you ever hear of the company called Sidecar? Sidecar is in the pre-existing to Lyft. Like what, no, when Sidecar was what Lyft became, became Lyft, isn't it? We, uh, no, well, it's, so actually, so Lyft, Lyft survived, Sidecar did not. But I, I actually believe Sidecar was even started before Uber. The thing about Sidecar is, uh, you know, it was like, you know, it's a good, good try, you know, company didn't work out or whatever. Um, but what they did was they were actually uh, leaning into the Hayekian decentralized model in the sense that they said, look, every driver knows their own supply and demand. We're going to let every driver set their own prices. And every customer wants to satisfy, like they want a specific car. Some person wants a Mercedes and some person wants a this and so on and so forth. So we're going to let people scroll through and find the driver at the price they want and the make and model. And they treat it almost like a shopping cart kind of thing. And you pick and then you book a ride, right? And it actually turned out that the Hayekian model of like, decentralized local computation didn't work as well. You know, the, the central actor of Uber or Lyft seeing every ride and all past people who had booked there and aggregating them in such a way that you didn't see Mercedes or BMW, you saw like a, a luxury version, uh, like Uber Black, uh, or you didn't see, you know, Toyota or Ford, you just saw Uber X, right? And then they would actually also just quote a straight price to that. And they essentially centralized the market. But they, the difference versus like 20th century communism is that they weren't just doing that without information. They actually had better information, not worse information. And so I think about this as a concrete example sometimes of where sort of um, libertarian-ish Hayekian theories, which are, which are, you know, I'm sympathetic to, you know, don't always work. And actually, sometimes a centralized model actually produces better economic results for everybody. So let me provoke with that. And that's very similar to some of the decisions I'm sure you've had on, like, do we set this as a default? Or do we set it and it's not even able to be edited? Or do people actually have, be able to edit it? You know, th those kinds of, you have to make decisions a thousand times when running something what you guys are doing. I dislike it when I include people who mock Hayek. So this is bad for my DNA, Balaji. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out in what way you are wrong so I can defend Hayek, but I, I can't quite think of one. I'm going to tweet at you later. It's, 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 a, it's a common, um, uh, like, Cass has... Um, like Cass and I have a long-standing proxy war between uh, uh, like um, uh, Friedrich List on my side and and um, uh, Adam Smith Hi, and Friedrich Adam Smith. No, Yes, this is this is this is a very <laughs> common conversation that Toby and I have between List and yeah, and, yeah. and 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 Hayek and. Uh, Marcus Aurelius and Julius Caesar. Like it's a common conversation between he and I that we disagree with over uh, frequently. Luckily, it usually works out yeah. in Toby's favor. It, 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 it's well, uh, I you're being kind. I don't actually think that's true. But like, uh, like I, I mean, Valistian, uh, like economics, uh, like again, I'm not going to get too much into it. But like, um, the, the the main difference to the uh, the laissez-faire is just that uh, there's a role in defining like. Like he approaches economics and 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 state design much more in in a, in a way that you you define a game that is uh, leaves enough space for the market, but also um, 
biases the, the, the self-act, like the self-dealing or the self-interest in the market towards the greater good, which is like, I, th I think Lassifea just shies away from and, and, and takes on faith. So um, like just as a, as a, as a local in, uh, in, instance of this, um, a similar story to the one you, you, you shared, Shopify launched with a theme store just because we wanted to, you know, allow the designers, like just like clearly we, we want to create a two-sided marketplace there so that people have these amazing uh, designs. The first version of that was like purely uh, um, everyone sets whatever prices and you had like this massive draw down like like it just ended up everyone underbid each other and no one ended up making money and the quality just suffered enormously and then uh in in the next version what we just did is like hey we just set a minimum price of i think it was 180 or 200 dollars um for a theme which was 160 dollars more than the average theme was being sold um and and of course you know, you have to go through a bit of change management, uh, uh, like like uh, and angry emails about this kind of thing, and 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 um, for like three months, no one posted themes, and then month four, suddenly really high quality themes are being submitted, right? Like so, so I've seen like creating parameters for uh, the health of a game to be a useful uh, um, uh, a thing. I don't think that has like again. I still don't know if this is truly a centralized versus decentralized debate at all, because again, you can actually set parameters for decentralized games for smart contracts uh, in, in the future. Previously, you needed to be like uh, like like a central uh, central actor um, to, uh, to do this. So, uh, but I, I, I yes, I think this is I, I I think I mean this is sort of getting really into the network state and 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 in, in, like internal economics uh, and, and conversations and um, um, of I, I think. There's very little experimentation along those lines in actual economics, and I, I, I would really hope that there's more in the future, um, because I think we actually learned a lot more about incentive at group design and community, uh, even by studying what's already happened in crypto, especially during the last summer, um, uh, and um, uh, I think that's really exciting. There's a really interesting book, Toby, that um, I'm going to make your case for you now, which is going to bother me, but... Uh, the guy named John List, who has no list, no, no relation to Fred Lick List from as I can tell, who's a, uh, who was, who became the chief economist at Lyft. Hmm. Uh, he has a book called The Y Axis. Uh, it's about like real behavior, it's about behavior of real people versus what the, the oh, macroeconomic theory tells you you should do. I think it's the best case for why, uh, Frederick List was right. Um, it's, it, it's nearly convincing. I'll make a I'll make a quick remark and we'll maybe move on for just to you know the I think the reason maybe I don't want to quite say Hayek was wrong but when he was he was right in the 20th century and might be wrong this decade or this century is the whole thing was the calculation problem right the economic calculation problem but the calculation problem is arguably an information problem and now we're really good at solving information problems and we've got gigantic stores of data and uh, this is something I talk about in the book is. Maybe like China's centralized model with their CBDC seeing every single transaction, you know, they could do all kinds of machine learning and actually optimize their economy in a way that would like, I wouldn't want it to work from an ethical standpoint, but it might, right? Like I cannot say a priori that it won't, right? And, you know, the thing that's funny is like the Shopify theme store, that's like a price floor. That's actually, Steve Jobs did that also, as I recall, it's like, he said like 99 cents for like, you know, Songs, he didn't have them priced lower than that. And he understood that people would anchor on price. You know, Medicare in the US, in theory, it doesn't set prices 
because private insurers can set prices they want. In practice, it does. And all these charge masters and all these insurers anchor on that because the thing that everybody sees, so it's like, it's got that hub and that hub and spoke position. And so, you know, the other aspect here is when you're talking about why do people underbid is you're optimizing for that irrationality and low context, right? They're coming in. The first thing they'll do is sort by price. That's what's legible to them. Then they see everything is crappy. Then they leave and then nobody buys anything. And then you're actually literally acting on behalf of both the customer and the vendor by saying, hey, actually, uh, we want you to get to know each other a little bit better and we're setting a higher price, but you'll both like it actually overall and more transactions will happen. And ultimately the justification for that is the GMV and the fact that there's a better customer experience. Even if in the in the small, you're quote, violating capitalistic laws, in the large, you're still, you know, serving it. So there's like, you're, you're violating Hayek at the small level, perhaps, but you're delivering on it at the large level. That might be one way of resolving it for you, Cass. Go ahead. I mean, I think, I think you have to be incredibly careful, but of course, this is true at Shopify. We're incredibly careful when we set defaults because the thing Hayek had called pretense of knowledge, huh. which is a thing, the thing you think you know, but you actually don't know. So if you think you have perfect information in your design system, you almost always end up being wrong as you know, we've seen in lots of, you know, COVID era policies. We think we know things, but we actually don't know them. So this is actually really important for software because when you set defaults, what you actually are doing is setting an exclusionary policy. And you want to be really careful. Uh, and we are. This is why, like, look, I think um, I think Shopify Payments is the best payment product on the planet. I think it's very, very good. I think there's no one who shouldn't use it. But you're free not to use it in Shopify. Like, you're free not to use it. You can use something else. Um, that's because I think you have to be very careful uh, when you decide you have all the information you need. And also, like, I, I, I think you want some internal, like, I mean, Shopify payments is, 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 is very good, partly also because it actually, um, even though it's an internal product that clearly is attached, like, like we have an incentive to, I mean, we, we could make a unilateral decision. That's the only thing anyone uses. Um, but again, company building is hard. Uh, um, uh, and, um, uh, having some pressure on this product having to su succeed on merit um is actually good right like so even 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 that is like the team should have pride in building something that is uh, superior to uh, the, 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 the other options um it's an odd choice by the way Algy. like literally everyone else in this space has made a different choice either people have made a choice they will have only one default and only allow that or people have chosen they will have no default and no product but Shopify is alone in the space saying, we will have a product. You don't have to use it. It will compete with every other product on the space. Like if you think of like, I, I mean, I'm not, uh, these are good companies. I think they've made different choices. Like Square has made a choice. You can only use Square payments on Square. Most commerce platforms have made a choice. They will have no payment product. Whereas Shopify has made a choice that we will have a payment product and you can compete with it, which is like very, um, I think it's a different choice. This is like a, being self-aware to know you may be wrong. It's it's interesting because it's like uh, you know Bayesian statistics, like Bayesian software development. Like you get the first one, and then you update when you get the next measurement, and you update and so on. And now you're probably solution of how many people will actually want to use it. Maybe it's eighty-seven percent, and you want to actually you know move it up each time. The, the other thing is you know the the so with agreeing with what you're saying, the alternative view is centralized is simple. Apple just makes the decision for you, and you're going to like it, right? 
the the uh, the prefix A, the omakase model of software development, and it just reduces the combinatorics, and you don't have three choices here and four choices there and five choices there, and you know all these different things. You just get one thing, and it basically just works. And that was actually Rails's design philosophy, if I recall, at least early on. It, beca- it became more configurable, but like the the golden path is supposed to just work, right? That's exactly like it. Omakase, we called it. Um, like it's uh, you know. The defaults are right, but like you can change things. But like we 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 call that like the design philosophy in Shopify um, make the important things easy and everything else possible. Yeah, yeah, okay, right, exactly. And uh, so so I think I just want to identify. I'm not saying I've got an optimal or you you know anyone's an optimal solution along that axis, but identify that axis is a very important one for like managing people at large scale. Like what do you do centralized? What do you decentralize? I think it recurs. So you know we've basically talked about how you guys have managed and built something that is on the scale of a small country economically. Um, what if you could start a new country, a small country, right? Um, you know, like what would the Shopify country be? What would the Toby country be? What would the Kaz country be? And it doesn't have to be just one thing, you know, just like that guy you said who had five things that failed and one succeeded, right? Um, you know, I, I would, uh, I, you know, the president of Canada could be, you know, the the largest company in Canada, or you could build new Canada, right? What would, you know, perhaps perhaps leaving Canada out of it, okay? Uh, what would, you know, what kind of thing if there was a new country, Toby? What would you build? Cas, what would you build? I'm actually very interested what Cas would build. I think I think that would be vastly more interesting than like anything I build. I I, I mean, for what is worth, this is like I I've I have not spent 15 minutes thinking about. It. This is why I love your book because it's like it's like. Oh man, there's like so much more left in the tank in the future of things to explore. <laughs> like, um, but, uh, I, 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 like, I, I would like to see people apply themselves to this, but it's probably, it would, it would probably not be my <laughs> project. I have, I have one thing that helps focus it a little bit. Like, you know, with starting a company is this huge thing. You have HR and you have, well, it's not the first thing, but you have, you have, you know, payroll, you have a zillion things to take care of, but, Usually the way you describe it in a one-liner is, you know, here's our first product and here's what we're selling and here's why people are buying it and so on, the quote elevator pitch and so on, right? And the kind of equivalent thing that I have for quote starting a new country, um, just, and again, this is like a distillation of lots and lots of intentional communities and things that have been started, right? So a lot of history gets packed into this. It's not really just my invention, but I call it not, not coming up with a wholly new 10 commandments for your new society, but one commandment, like one big moral or social thing, some issue that you think society is not solving that you'd solve with your new community, just like a founder of a, of a, of a startup is like, oh, there's some economic issue that I'm going to solve with my new company. You solve this moral or societal issue with your new community. For example, it could be, okay, I think uh, I'd like to explore what a full keto community would look like. And people you know, they drop the cookies at the border, you know, step away from the s'mores, right? You know, and uh, you, you actually have something where you give people willpower within that community where there's just like no sugar, no high fructose corn syrup, nothing like that. And probably people would be very healthy. And I give other examples that are like that. So if, if there's like one feature, if there's one thing, policy thing that you could wave, wave a magic wand and change, you know, you've talked about, for example, fusion, right? You've talked about all the tech stuff that's being held back. You know, many of your tweets, I was like, oh, it looks, sounded like I would tweet this. Or, you know, we think about, <laughs> think a lot, a lot of the same things, right? Um, you know, fusion's being held back and there's a bunch of things that are getting held back. So technologically, that might be an answer. But there's got to be something you think if you could wave a magic wand, you would, you would do differently. I, I read your book and one of the things I really 
thought about was how to French, like the French word nation is a better word than like the English word nation. Like, cause like in, in, in French, you have this idea of pays, which is what we think of as a country, but it's nation is just a group of people that have like a shared history or shared culture. And like, in fact, in Canada, we have many nations in one country. I think like that's like a very, um, that's an interesting thing to think through. So I'll, 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 I'll engage with the, you know, the, the third rail topic directly. Cause like, you know, why not? Okay. Um, I do, I do wish people were, um, like I could have a community that was more curious and less sure and more open to being offended. I know it'd be like, if I could like have a community, uh, I mean, look, I'm, um, I'm alive only because Canada exists. I would have been for sure dead without Canada, like dead in, or like rotting in a Iranian jail cell. So I have a, Canada has a special place in my heart, partially because it is a country of many nations and you can be a lot of different things in one country. If I could create a, like a political party, it would be like, hey, everyone here in this, you know, in this Discord channel, in my, like, in my part of the world, uh, be more curious and, and less easily offended. The tribe of people who are not tribal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? I mean, or at least tribal, but just one thing only. <laughs> no, I, 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 I say yeah. that in a somewhat joking way, but it's also, I understand what you're saying. Go ahead. I think I think it's actually not being tribal. It's like, like tribalism is super fun if it's like a high, um, if if it's sort of like the scientist version of being tribal. Like I, yes. I, I, you know, like when the World Cup is on, I'm like German, not Canadian. I have both passports. Like it's just like <laughs> it's like I'm, I'm going super tribal. If if Germany plays Canada, it's not close. But like if Germany plays Canada in hockey, I'm also I'm Canadian, right? So like oh, I, I think I, I think there's um uh like. Like tribalism is like in our like uh, it's built into our uh, in, into our brain. It's part of our virtual machine that we're running our brain on. It's like it's like it, it should come out in jest rather than in in uh, like that we uh, demand blood <laughs> like or affinity yeah. or uh, uh, absolute uh, absolute conviction. I think the um, I mean if like if you're, if you're talking fancy uh, edits to do to the psyche that we can uh, encode into our community. I um uh and I tweeted about this a bit. I I, I think one of the biggest issues in in, in 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 the world is that we are not um uh like the builders are special uh in a in a in, in a way like uh, that we need to write back into the story. Like I I really do like founders are um courageous people who are uh, you know going on journeys discovering things and then bringing back their lessons we are currently in a world that has um that treats um the people who build things and the people who critique things equally in fact the airwaves are completely owned by the people who critique things and um because they get to uh write the story it's actually they're basically more powerful and i think like i, I i'm not against uh criticism in fact i think High effort criticism is one of the most important things to inspire builders to do their thing. But I think critics are capped in the, in, in, in the amount of value they can create for society by, um, uh, holding, uh, builders accountable or inspiring builders to do better. So they, they're really a supportive tissue for builders. And, um, I think that, um, I, th I think this is something which ought to be reinforced in, 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 in the narrative for the good of all, including the critics. Um, because it just, I, th I, th I think, um, 
I mean, I, I, I started a company in the sort of magical five, six years uh, in the middle of uh, like of the 2000s, right? Like, like almost name any company outside of uh, uh, the Fangs. And um, it got started in this sort of, I mean, probably six years uh, time span um, uh, that just ended up being like right when the internet grew up enough to know that software as a service was a business model and, and, and advertising is good and we like, the iPhone came like what was soon after and, um, uh, you know, web two before web three was sort of a rallying cry of like, Hey, we know how to build internet software. And so we should build the important bits of internet software. Shopify is the retail internet web two kind of thing. Um, we, like a lot of us hung out together in uh, ISC channels, uh, because we, a lot of us use things like rails and we knew each other. A lot of us, uh, you know, like know of each other. It was, it was a fairly small community in, 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 in those days of builders and, um, talking still with a lot of them. And, and, and it's just like so many of them opted out. Like, so like obviously the best, the businesses worked, people made money, people, no, I, I, no one, I, that I knew did it for the money. It's a surprise to all of us that this ended up being useful in terms of, um, or remarkable and as, as a, as a, as a money, uh, thing, like a lot of us sort of, I think made choices to start our own businesses, um, saying no to the careers that we otherwise would have had. Um, it just like, I, I think you, we would want, uh, like a community and a, and a society where, um, um, it's hard enough to build these things and, um, it shouldn't be artificially uh, like harder by the only people who are asked to solve all of society's problems are also the people who are, who already dedicate themselves to like actually building the stuff we need. Um, like we, we should get politicians to solve society's problems instead. <laughs> we, we, we should simplify. Um, uh, and um, uh, so many, it, it became so hard that so many opted out. And I think we, we, we would have gotten a massively better companies, massively better products, massively more products, uh, progress. If not, I think some of them luckily, uh, all, all realized like sitting on beaches, sipping mojitos is actually super boring and, um, are starting to come back and become active. I think crypto has seen, uh, many join. I think AI is pulling some others back, um, to become builders again. And that's really good. And I think that's this. For how exactly to do it, I don't know, but like, I think this would be like something I would experiment with. So if I'm to summarize, like cultural innovation around curiosity and cultural innovation around builders, and really it's a community first kind of thing, more than a policy or technology first thing. And I agree with that. I would add a couple of thoughts on this, which are, I've actually thought about some of the same, many of the same issues. It's funny, like a lot of our tweets are just like this. I'm not sure. Yeah, right. So it's (laughs) convergent. Exactly. So, you know, one thing is, uh, I'll just make a few remarks. I was thinking when you said this, you know, first is I realized, you know, the, okay, let's go back and beat up on our beloved Hayek and, 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 you know, the, so comparative advantage makes a ton of sense. If uh, person A is selling apples and person B is selling oranges, right? You grow your apples, I grow my oranges and, you know, Hey, we can trade or whatever. It doesn't work if one guy is growing apples and other guy is writing laws or, you know, generating media because, that is something where that by outsourcing that, by just focusing on what you love, which is the apples, you have outsourced the governance of San Francisco, for example, to people who are bad at it, right? 
And uh, they are actually, you know, if everybody's making a rational decision that, hey, I would have, you know, be able to do something positive sum and be able to build great stuff and so on and, and goes and starts a company, then the state is left to those who make irrational decisions <laughs> and who, do, who cannot make good financial choices because if they were, they would be at a, you know, a fund or, or something. They, they're not good at engineering if they were, they'd be at a tech company. And so what they are, are they're optimized for politics, right? And that is a skill, but it is, uh, it is a skill that is, um, that shouldn't be on its own, right? You know, like uh, Lee Kuan Yew was good at politics, but he's also good at, at actually building, right? And what I realized is actually that that's another place where the doctrine of comparative advantage breaks down. We have outsourced something that we should not have outsourced. And so then it, what, I, what I think that means is I've got like a V1, V2, V3, V4 that I'll bounce off you, right? So V1 is, let's say, and I, I don't mean this in a negative way. This is kind of where I was as well. And so V1 is the naive optimism of the builder. I should just be able to build. Society should be set up so I can build, right? But this is like, uh, you, you guys play games. You play game civilization? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what happens if you just put everything into technology and commerce and you're just peaceful and building? Right. Guy next door. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's, the it's, guy next door comes. And you have something that someone else wants, yes. <laughs> exactly. They come up with a spearman. They just have a little spearman, and they just come in, and they invade your thing, and now you're dead, right? And so that's actually how I think of a lot of the establishment, the especially the media corporations and so on. They don't like these tech interlopers uh, who are often demographically different. Like we're all immigrants, right? We're all from overseas. The old money, in many ways, you know, people are like, oh, the tech guys are so rich. Their problem isn't actually, quote, tech guys are rich. The problem is that it's new money as opposed to the old money that owns the newspapers if you go and look at all of these like media corporations they're all owned by like these nepotistic families that have inherited from generation to generation often yeah. the owners are in like you know the the back you hear you know for example everybody recognizes mark zuckerberg right for better or worse he's out in front he's taking the hits he's a founder he's a son of a dentist built it from nothing nobody recognizes arthur g salzberger who inherited the new york times company from his father's 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 father right once you apply that lens of like new money versus old money well actually you can actually Actually look at this kind of conflict happening many times in history. And so if V1 is build and then V2 is, oh, let me be a critic and take my spears, because what's the point of the critic, right? Their, their point is to take your stuff. If they can criticize you and get you to apologize, what comes after an apology is some form of um, reparation of some kind. You're, you're, giving, you're giving up something, right? Uh, because if I apologize, well, how are you going to make it right? Oh, okay, I'm so sorry. Let me give you something. So it's essentially highway robbery on the internet right? Where they can back you into a corner for building something, right? With this criticism. And it's actually, think about how low capex it is, right? You had to go and take all this risk and, you know, spend all this time and write all this code. And this guy can just tweet at you angrily and get you to back down and give you some money. And he, he didn't do anything, right? Extremely great. It's like, it's like the, the patent lawyers who go, what are they called? The lawyers who go around and sue chases. Yeah. The ambulance chases the patent trolls. Okay. Yeah, exactly. It's a it's a low yeah, cost right. structure. Patent trolls. trolls like these are like the the pirates who would just go and attack ships that were traveling, right? They're like bandits essentially, right? And one way of looking at that is think about how hard it is to let's say do a deal with I don't know. I'm just picking a name, Coca Cola, right? To use Coca Cola's logo for something to advertise it. But a media corporation can just take Coca Cola's name and put it in their headline and use their brand equity to sell their papers, right? Or your or your name and use your brand equity to sell their papers. They can just kind of steal. They're optimized for all that stuff, right? And so then once you kind of realize this, well, what do you do in civilization? One option is, and this is V3, and V3 is, I'd call it like reflexive reaction. V3 is you just become a critic back 
and you spend all your time attacking them back, right? The problem with this is then you become them, right? So what I've come to after a lot of thought is V4, which is something like 20% right, 10% fight, 70% build. You actually consciously think of this as a defense department and you allocate budget for content, just like you have to have a legal staff, right? You have to have some degree of content budget. You have to go direct. You have to actually tell your own story and have your own community or someone will do it for you, right? And at first it's a necessary evil. And then you actually might get into it. You're like, actually, this is pretty cool. You know, once I'm set up to do it, I've got like a nice, you know, studio or I've got a nice, you know, template for our blog. I've, I've figured out a nice story. You, for example, we talked about earlier, Shopify Trends, that generates a story every week. And it's an awesome one. It's something that's on topic. And so, so it's like, it's something that you like, but it's also driving the news cycle and you've got, you know, social media and people are subscribing to you because this becomes important information, right? So you're doing a service to the community as we talked about. You're also building your defense department because you're building a community of folks who are tuned into your version of events. You're helping your community defend themselves. And that's kind of what I think of as like V4. Uh, all right, let me pause here. That was a download, uh, but, but I'd love your thoughts on that. Uh, I'm sort of baiting cats into it, like because yeah. I, 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 I'm, I'm very easily baited. I mean, this is interesting, but, but I, I, as you were describing it, I just realized, like, you know, we more or less got rid of piracy, like high sea piracy in the world by not any one person doing anything, right? We got rid of them by declaring them persona non grata that anyone could just kill a pirate and you'd be fine. Like it was a whole society saying, ah, those people are all reflectively bad. Let us all attack them. Because I, 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 I disagree. I, hmm, I don't think so. that's a story. You don't think we got rid of pirates? The British Navy plus like persona non grata? How do you think we got rid of pirates? This is super cool. I, 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 think, I, think, I think all startups are straight lining to the pirate ships. Um, they have a share operations. People get part, like, recruited um, on merit. People like you, you got a share of a bounty. It's just there was like there was no opportunity space for this kind of grouping during those times, and therefore the pirate ship is, was a um, pressure release valve, basically pushing entrepreneurial uh, um, uh, activity into the underground. Um, I, I think we ended it by actually creating um, uh, America, basically. Um, I think I think that I think there's an interesting thing to be. I think there's a system design thing that happened, which is if you attacked a pirate ship, you could take everything they had. As long as you attack a pirate ship. And that created very good incentives for people to attack pirate ships. And that's actually what's needed in like the world today of like of um critics. All you need to do is for a couple of people to stand up and say, ah, I stand up against you with this person who you're criticizing. Because what usually happens is someone very loud yells at someone who's building and everyone else cowers. But if, if someone loud yells at someone who's building and every other builder, like the, the bad signal goes off and starts attacking that person, what ends up happening is the incentive structure changes. The incentive structure of like picking you off one at a time changes. This is why I think it's so important. I disagree with something Elon does or says, but it's so important to defend him publicly because otherwise the incentive structure is screwed up. So it's funny because there's actually a resolution of both of your guys' views into one thesis synthesis synthesis. And what that is, is there's two ways of defeating pirates, which are defense and conversion, right? So are the pirates the bad guys who will just fight us to the end? Or are, could they become one of us with the right incentive structure? And, you know, the second model, actually, I've seen that in academia. Uh, you, know, you know the fundamental similarity between the socialist professor and the capitalist CEO? 
No. They both deeply want to be in charge. Okay, there's actually something there. They're actually, I mean, a lot of those social professors are pretty smart, right? And they have frustrated executive authority and they try to do everything through the state, right? But once they join the network and you actually give them that CEO title, they have more authority over fewer things, but now they, there's no one to complain to. So they open their mouth to and then they have to close it because they have to do it themselves. And now they start figuring it out, right? And so that's, I've seen this over and over again. So many folks become, once they realize how hard it is to actually build something, how competitive markets are, it converts a lot of them. It may be the best way to convert them because it's a minus one for the pirate side and a plus one for your side. Now, and then those that are left are actually those that can be mopped up and and dealt with, you know, via coalition, right? Basically that is, that is a, you know, kind of resolution of both your views, which I actually, I've, I've seen both of those in practice, both the unionization of tech and the conversion of former critics into tech people, for example. This leads me to where I started, Laji. You're good at joining our one-on-ones. You should just put you on a careers page and you can <laughs> sit on one-on-ones. It's perfect. I, I, I definitely <laughs> want to talk to you guys about Shopify Trends. I'm very interested in that. Okay, guys, I think we have covered almost everything I wanted to cover. I thought this was great. Um, there's tons more we can talk about, but if you have uh, you know, any final comments, thoughts, anything you want to leave people with, uh, stuff you're excited about, let me let me let me make a shameless pitch for something. If you've Go gotten ahead. to this point in this podcast, the odds are that you're um, a square peg in a round hole world, and Shopify is a company built for those people. It's a company of like ex-founders who really believe in changing the world and taking ownership over your own life and helping other people take ownership over their own lives. It's not a typical tech company, and it has it has ups and downs. But if you're open to being atypical and if you're deeply curious, um, please look us up. Um, we're building something special and we could use more special people to build it. Well, the best ad for working at Shopify is just you guys. So, um, so that's, that's great. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll put that link in the show notes. Uh, Toby, you have any thoughts? Um, I know there's a new podcast. Uh, I, I'm, I'm amazed at your restraint of like, like, because I, I, I know like literally everything, um, uh, like I, I read your essays and like, we're, we're talking, um, uh, about things, uh, partly poorly that you have written incredibly eloquent essays about, like, um, for instance, I find, um, I was just reminded like in our conversation that, um, what I was drawing on was largely inspired by your uh, founding versus inheriting essay, which I really think is one of the top essays uh, that I've come across in the last uh, couple of years. So uh, I, I'm, I'm amazed at your range because you, you, you're being a very, very good podcast host here and not uh, um, uh, jumping in. And I, I think it's great fun. I, I you know, one of the, um, I, I, I was earlier critical on uh, media being uh, clearly an inherited uh, world that is largely um, staffed by, 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 by the critics. Um, this is something I said publicly. I think podcasts are the, are so different. And because you, you, you hear about the potential of new ways of creating countries, even, uh, plus all the various histories or how empires, uh, uh fail, what we can learn about them or like things about optim, like, like optimistic messages because podcasts are run by the founders, right? Like uh, they, they are, uh, the thing like, um, uh, that uh, we are missing in the other mediums, and I, I, I think it's great that you're like you're running this. I think it's great. It's a it's a, it's a great topic. Um, 
uh, glad to be here. Uh, Cas made a great pitch for for for, for the Shopify uh, for Shopify and working for Shopify. So I'm, I'm, I I feel like I'm should meta pitch your own podcast at the end of one of your episodes. That's not super useful, but like <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe there's something uh, to give back here. I'll, I'll make I'll make one comment on your <laughs> last comment, and which is basically that I think with the tweets, which are the ultra short form, and the podcasts are the ultra long form. Those are relatively less. Uh, occupied by legacy media. And that's one of the reasons we've made a lot of progress. And the other is that unlike a normal interview, you know, the quote interview is like hard hitting and they're supposed to like ask interrogating questions and so on. And that was based on a distribution asymmetry of media corporation and the, and the subject. Ours is based on a distribution symmetry. It's actually peer to peer. And so I connect to you and I connect to Vitalik and we connect to others and so on. And so we're building actually something new together. So very glad to have you guys here. Um, and uh, thank you for being on the Network State Podcast. Awesome. Thank you so much for having us. Cheers. Thanks.